0: This month's Where Did the Road Go is sponsored by three awesome people Ellison Cook, Super Inframan, and 36 Dingo. If you want to help support the show, become a Patreon at wheredidtheroadgo.com. You get extra stuff all month, shows a week early, and much, much more. And now our show
1: Transmission Start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at com. Now here is your host, Soraya.
0: Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And I have back with me in this sort of swap cast edition, the Snake Brothers. That's right. How's it going, buddy? Uh, I I am doing good, and uh, I, I hear you are doing good as well. Yes, that's right. It's hot. It's dry. <laughs> but otherwise,
2: thanks to technology, we're doing
3: good. That's right. Yeah. It is, it is harvest season for us, so we're, August is always our busiest month in terms of, you know, the the grapes and the farming and the wine so um how hot is it there you're you're in mid texas
2: yeah so up high 90s and then i mean we've had many many days over 100 degrees so far this summer um
3: yeah which is you know that's kind of it's i wouldn't say it's abnormal but last summer we got spoiled because it was nice and cool all summer i feel like yeah it was (laughs) This this summer has been more normal in terms of Texas heat, I think. Yeah. Uh, but it has definitely been a very dry year for us, and I know for many other people. So. Yeah,
0: it's been hot and dry here, hotter, a touch hotter than normal. Not not severely. I mean, I remember back in the '90s where it was consistently over 100 and humid. Mm. Uh, but it's been more dry here and like hitting between like the upper 80s and lower 90s. So. Yeah. Well, we're
3: we're like we're de- uh, desert adjacent, you know. Yeah. So we're used to dry summers, but we usually get a lot of rain in the springtime, and we didn't get that either. So it's I think we've gotten like, what, three inches this year yeah. so far, something like that. It's Yeah, it's, we're way below average rain. At our weather station. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah let, let, last year it was, would it stop raining for like three days in a row? That would be cool. And this year it's like, <laughs> could we get rain for more than five minutes at a time?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yes. that's, that's pretty much where we're at too. Last year we had record rainfall, and um, it was... I guess it was, what, September is, it really came down. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it was an, it, we hardly ever had to irrigate anything last year. Yeah. Mm. We turned on the irrigation to the grapes a couple of times, maybe. And this year, that's all it's been. That's you know? right. So, S-
0: so uh, you guys had done, uh, we were, we were going to start this talking about Charles Fort. And you guys yes. did uh, a, what, nine-part series on Charles Fort? Yeah, I
3: think it was Nine. It might have been 10. I can't remember, but it's probably nine parts. Uh, one of the longest book reports we've ever done. Man, what a fantastic book. Four yes. Of them. Just absolutely amazing stuff. And, you know, it was, it was, Fort's tough to digest when you're reading it. It's just, a, he's got a strange style. Um, what do you mean? I don't know. His writing style is just weird, at least in my opinion. So it's it's just it's just strange to read it and I've heard from so many people you know I tried to start that book and I just couldn't couldn't get through it so He doesn't
2: was, he doesn't like to he doesn't like periods. Yes, he
3: doesn't <laughs> like to end sentences. Right. He's he's fond of of commas and you know and hyphenation but he doesn't like to end a sentence hmm. so you can uh and he'll put you know four or five different trains of thought in one sentence and try to string them all together looping them around and stuff like a weave and it's just t- it can be tough. So it was fun to go through it and uh you know we of course we did our standard like abridged version we don't read the whole thing but we do read select parts and and right. go through the go through the cases and and the all the stuff that Fort brings up all the instances of strangeness that Fort brings up and this and, is, uh, this
0: was book of the damned. That's right. Book yeah. of the Damned. Yeah. I haven't yeah. read it in a long time. I don't you know because I've read a lot of stuff from the turn of the, the last century um I don't. I didn't find it that weird, you know. Like so yeah. maybe it's more that he doesn't write like modern writers do. Do he didn't have the same type of editing, you know?
3: Yeah, it, it's it's that partially, but it's just it's also just kind of the way he uh, stream of stream of thought almost. Yes, it's stream of consciousness, and he sort of rambles a bit. Yeah, you know, um, and he's got this. Uh, what were we calling it? That he doesn't ever say, you know, I think this, or he doesn't use the first person. He'll say we. Oh, you know, uh, you know, he'll so he'll he'll he sort of, sort of tries to separate himself from the text and, uh, you know, he'll say, you know, we, we will see this or we consider this to be this thing. um, And it, it just I don't know, it's just a strange style, but he has his own style for sure. And after a while, you kind of get used to it. But still, every once in a while in the book, you come across a giant block of text that's almost incomprehensible, you know, and then we read it a couple of times. We're like, what is he saying? And then eventually you can sort of work it out by disentangling the knots of thoughts in the, uh, in the, in the sentence. But it was still, it was a great, it was a, it was a lot of fun. And just, I don't know. I love the just one anomaly after another. Um, yeah. And then his, you know, he does the thing where he, he's like, okay, so Looking through the journals, we see that there was someone in the scientific world who took it upon themselves to go investigate some of these instances. And then you just see that that person went out there, usually for the express purpose of of uh, debunking yeah, it. Yeah, basically or, debunking it, you know, like saying this is not a big deal or they're making up stories about how this possibly happened like you know coal fell out of the sky and the guy's like well the fire truck you know threw a bunch of coal on the ground <laughs> while it was raining and uh no one noticed until they came out and they thought the coal from the fire truck had just fallen out of the sky right right uh or somebody was playing a, a prank you know people thought fish were raining out of the sky but really it was some kid who threw a bucket of fish on the guy's head and uh you know it was just like some <laughs> of the most ridiculous attempts at debunking and of course fort you know just destroys it in his way and it, it was well, I like, it was a lot of fun. I the like,
2: other thing that's really great about his about Fort though is his philosophy of, of oh, the, yeah. the intermediate the intermediatist. Yes. So he the, the idea that through the scientific method we have to categorize things. We have to separate one thing from another and give it a term. Give each one a term that makes them distinct from from each other so that we can talk to each other about these things. But his philosophy is like yes you you have to do this in order to communicate but you also have to remember all the time that these things aren't really distinct there is no perfect dividing line between one thing and another they sort yeah. of merge together in this there's all this intermediateness between two distinct things yeah and so it's pretty cool as you go through his his way of looking at the world that you see yeah like the lines are blurred everywhere yeah and we forget that because of our language and the way we need to make things distinct in order to kind of have be able to understand each other it's It's interesting
0: i I like how he would also point out that scientists were saying that rocks didn't fall from the sky. Yes, these, these <laughs> stupid farmers just thought saw lightning strike a rock on the ground and thought it fell from the sky. you know <laughs> That's right.
3: yeah, yes. That kind of stuff was fantastic. Like starting with, like, okay, here's something that is accepted now, but not too long ago it wasn't accepted. Yeah. And look at how they tried to debunk the reports that people had seen. You know, basically rocks falling out of the sky. And then you, and then later he would compare that to current debunking attempts. Yeah. You know, yeah. for other anomalous events, and just you can see the comparison. It's like, yeah, now they accept that rocks fell out of fell out of the sky, but look at what they were saying about people who thought that when science didn't think that. And then you can kind of compare it to what they're saying to people who think that fish fall out of the sky or find worms crawling around on snow after a snowfall. You right, know, just right. All of, the, all of these accounts that he had were so amazing. And then he would also do that, like the intermediatist thing that Kyle was talking about. He would do this really interesting thing with each kind of event where he would start out saying, here's, let's start out with stuff that kind of looks like comets. And then as you go through the chapter, they the comet things sort of slowly become more and more like UFOs. Yeah. And he's sort of trying to demonstrate for you that there is, there, there's this strange blurriness that it's difficult to categorize these things, you know, uh, from one to the other.
0: Well, I think any of this unexplained stuff, you're, you're dealing with a myriad of actual explanations and not, and I'm not talking like conventional explanations. I think there's numerous weird things going on. You know, like 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 with Bigfoot accounts, you you might be seeing uh, a a flesh and blood ape that we're not familiar with, but at the same time, it might just be poltergeist activity, or it might be a spirit of some sort. And the, and, and I think that all of this stuff kind of blurs from one thing to the next, like like yes. you're saying there. And it's like it's not so simple as there's one explanation that's going to explain all these cases. That's right. That's and pe- right. And-, and stuff falling from the sky. I mean. Like I know there was a a blood fall in India within the last Mm -hmm. ten years where they actually got to analyze it and they said that this it was blood but it didn't have it was missing some normal component you found in blood. Yeah. And I don't remember and they didn't really have a good explanation from where it came from, but they could confirm that yep, it, it came from the sky and we don't really know what's going on here. Yeah, and there have been other blood accounts, and they've
3: been explained away as you know, birds get caught in, like, some kind of cyclone, and it tears them apart. Right. And it rains their blood down three weeks later over a different (laughs) town, you know, and you're just (laughs) like,
0: I don't know about this. Or one type (laughs) of fish or frog suddenly rains down in mass amounts, and it's like, well, a whirlwind picked them up. It's like, but nothing else? Yeah. Yeah, Fort had a great... uh, what was the thing you it said? It was about
3: marksmanship. The- yeah, there was there was the marksmanship <laughs> problem, which is that uh, you know that that frogs or fish or something like that would rain over this small sort of targeted area. Yeah. Uh, and then a a week or two or a couple of days. Well, or the whatever, scientists
2: would come in and explain it as being a cyclone.
3: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they would explain it as as being a water spout or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, a week later frogs or fish or whatever would rain again over that same exact spot. Yep. And so he called that, mark, you know, how do you explain the marksmanship if it's just a random uh, funnel, you know, a funnel of air picking up? And then he would also talk, what did he say he would say? He said, I think he would hear from somebody who had lost a pond. Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> they said, you know, a, a tornado came by and sucked up some farmer's pond and then rained the the <laughs> frogs from the pond down over the little town and that's their explanation and then a week later the frogs rain on that town again right <laughs> <laughs> but forts you know the, the 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 funny thing about going through the book of the damned is is forts own explanations and how he doesn't take himself seriously yeah which is which is just hilarious you know he you can tell as you're reading it, that he knows he's just he's just speculating wildly, but he starts talking about interstellar spacecraft carrying cargo. Yeah, yeah, you know, and they're dropping things or whatever. Uh, and then he also he 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 speculates about some ability. What did he call it? The, the Sargasso Sea. Sargasso Sea. Yep. Yeah, the yep. super, Sargasso super Sargasso Sea. Super Sargasso Sea. That's, it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Some place in the sky that has all this biological material that occasionally will just
0: rain it down on the planet. And, th- and that comes from a spot in the middle of the Atlantic called the Sargasso Sea where stuff just tends to collect. Like, uh, Yes. It's where, it's where the currents kind of make a, a circular area, and when stuff goes in, it tends not to come out very often.
3: Right. That's right. But wow. every once in a while, every once in a while, you'll have a bunch of weird stuff wash up on some shoreline yeah. because that stuff got, you know, escaped from that Sargasso Sea. That's right. Um.
2: And, hey, know, let's do a diving expedition out there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, imagine all the stuff that might be out there. Um, the the stuff falling from the sky, I mean, you can compare to, you know, things like rocks falling during poltergeist encounters. Yep. So you got to wonder, like, is that being generated by that particular area for some reason? And again, you know, like with the rocks, where, where are they coming from? I mean, they're at ports, if that's the case, but we don't really understand how that works at all.
3: Yeah. That's right. I mean, there's just there. There isn't a good explanation for for a lot of that stuff that Fort reported. I mean, some of it is just you know, you're you're when you're when you get away from even talking some of the weirder cases where you're not even talking about frogs or fish or something that you could explain as well. Well, uh, a waterspout picked this up from some lake, where it's like, uh, meat. Yes. You know, yeah. Like some kind of just bloody strange. And I'm sorry for anybody who's squeamish, but just. You know, they go out on the ground, and there's like a whole strip of land that's coated in this nasty meat yeah. material yeah. Uh, that smells really bad. And then, you know, and then inevitably, in some of the reports, someone tastes it. You yes, know? yeah. yeah.
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> well, I think or
2: at least they just tell you what it tastes like, and you're like, <laughs> right. well, "Wait a minute! Wait a second.
0: <laughs> I, I I know we talked about it somewhere on one of my shows recently. Uh, there was one of the cases like that where stuff fell from the sky and someone tasted it and it was good. They were like, oh, we'll just eat this. And it's like, yeah, it fell from the sky. Don't put it in your mouth.
3: <laughs> yep. There was plenty of accounts where, uh, what was it? The, the manna stuff, the, yeah. uh, the flakes that fell from heaven. And then there was always the report, you know, locals made bread out of it. Bread yeah. was yeah. like tasteless and <laughs> wouldn't rise, you know, it's like- strange, strange people. Just like, okay, there's weird black worms crawling around in the snow after a snowstorm. I'm going to eat one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. N- nowadays, that, nowadays, it'd be a TikTok challenge.
3: Yeah, that's right. Somebody would do it on TikTok. That's right. Yeah. And some of the some of those accounts, um, I think the one with the weird bread stuff, the manna flakes or whatever that were falling from the sky, the, the, the flakes that people made bread with. Those were explained away as, what did he say? It was lichen? Lichen mm. from the yeah, Mongolian steppes or something like that? I can't remember. It was something <laughs> like that. The, the scientific explanation was that it was lichen, you know, so it was a fungus or whatever.
0: <laughs> well, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, God, I haven't read the What bo- a great book, though. Just yeah, I haven't I haven't read it in, in a while, but uh, I remember just being astonished at the, the array of weirdness there. Yeah. Well, you don't have to read it. You it's got nine true. episodes it's of Brothers true. of the Serpent you can listen to. <laughs> and and they are in my queue. I just haven't started yet because there's nine episodes. Right. <laughs> yep. It's a, it's a commitment. Because <laughs> <laughs> once I start listening to episode one, I'm, I'm just going to go through all nine of them. Right. Like, I'm not going to stop and be like, I'll listen to episode two after I listen to other stuff. It's like, nope, now that I've started. <laughs> well, it's only like 20 hours, Soraya. Come
3: on. <laughs> um like a part-time job you can do it in one
0: week (laughs) i i wonder how fort would deal with current stuff with current anomalies You mean like present day yeah i don't know i mean because he just looked for newspaper clippings that didn't you know of weird things that didn't fit in
3: yeah newspaper clippings scientific journals uh i mean he was he spent a lot of time in the i guess it was the what was it the library in new york and then the one in london
0: yeah
4: yeah,
3: Looking at these and just going through and he, you know, he's t- he, he describes in the book how he gave himself a cutoff time. He's like, I'm not going to go back more than a couple of hundred years. Right. Uh, right. But he- he's like, you still you still find these anomalies going back. But he's like, I, I have a cutoff point of a, maybe maybe it was the 1800s. I can't remember exactly what his cutoff point was, but he was like, I have to I have to draw some lines myself, you know, and uh, even then he found so much stuff and. It's interesting. You wonder, do those kinds of reports make it into those kinds of journals these days or not? I don't yeah. think so.
2: I think they've been they've been uh
0: air well, quotes cleaned up. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. you would you see them in newspaper articles though.
3: Yeah. Every once well, in a while. You did read that story. What was it? The other day on the on the show that was forty about
2: there was the glowing one, sea. Yeah, there's one with the glowing sea, because he did talk about these oh, yeah. these strange um People yeah. witness the the seas glowing, and there's bands of glowing light um, yeah. going past them when they're out at sea. So there's a recent story um, about this where there's scientists actually looking at this. They're able to see it from satellite images now, but they didn't have. They've never been able to correlate both an on-site, um, you know, photography witness and, and yeah. witness, you know, eyewitness accounts with photography or video with the satellite imagery of the same event and they they finally got one. So some people with, you know, probably cell phone cameras and stuff were recording it at sea. Yeah. They were in it. And it what it it really reminds you of some of the stuff that Fort is talking about, where yeah. there's this like dim glowing light that seems to be emanating from deeper in the ocean. It's not just floating on the surface like a typical or or,
4: or it's in not, the waves, uh,
3: yeah.
2: And it's continuous glowing, unlike a lot of the, what is it? The the, The
3: bioluminescence,
2: the plankton or whatever it is that's supposed to do that. Yeah, why can't I think of what they're called? But anyway, yeah, they kind of light up and then shut off. And that's kind of normal. You see, you know, in the crashing waves, you'll see them light up. Uh, But then they go out.
3: It takes a little bit of, I don't know, some kind of energy. You can also rub your hand, if it's really strong, you can rub your hand back and forth on the wet sand after a wave has crashed and make them light up. Yeah, we've seen we've witnessed this ourselves, but these these accounts are talking about, you know, the a entire, steady glow, a steady glow. The entire ocean is glowing and it's not the surface. It's coming down from down deep.
2: Yeah. Well, so that was pretty cool. I what, was was like, the hey, ex- man.
3: what was the explanation they gave? For they have no they?
2: explanation whatsoever for All this.
3: Right. Yeah. It was a report a lot like the stuff that Fort would read, you know, so there was a report from people who were there on a boat and the boat was in the middle of the event. And there were scientists who were able to look at the event from satellite images. Yeah, but there was yeah. there was no attempt to give any kind of explanation, which was really interesting.
0: The uh, the Kontiki expedition that Thor Heyerdahl did uh, when they were in the middle of the Pacific at one point, the the ocean started glowing around them.
2: Mm. Do you guys remember this thing that happened a um, few years back, maybe five or six years back, where uh, there was the ocean was glowing red the pilots these all these pilots were reporting you know flying over this area of the ocean and they're looking down and it's just all lit up yeah bright red you remember this yeah i do yeah there were images of it on the news and stuff that, that was yeah some was of the
3: strange. pilots took pictures out of the plane windows it's yep. huge huge lights on the sea. Yeah, over the North Pacific, I think. They were flying to Alaska.
0: And I mean, I would assume this has a natural explanation we're just not aware of. Well, yeah, it has some kind of explanation. Well, sure, but I mean like yeah. like like a natural like animal or something like that that we're not familiar with. I mean, it could be underwater UFOs. We see that. Even though people don't talk about them a lot. I mean, there's uh plenty. I mean, UFOs are more likely to go into a body of water than into the sky. Yeah, like the most common thing they do is disappear. The second most common thing they do is disappear into a body of water.
3: Yeah, yeah, it could be UFOs, but it, it the thing about those lights, the, the ones that Kyle brought up specifically, was how bright they were. Uh, it was bright enough to where the, um, you know, the attempted explanation that was given uh, was that it was a fleet of fishing be- vessels. Right, I remember that. It was too bright to be explained away as some kind of bioluminescence. Not not that that's impossible for bioluminescence to be really bright, but it usually isn't the kind of brightness you get from artificial lights or technological lights, right, uh, right. which is what this seemed to be. And it was also, these guys were taking photographs from, from cruising altitude, 30,000 feet, and the light, the light area covered a large portion of the ocean that they could see, which means it was enormous. So I don't, I don't really understand how they could explain it as a f- fleet of fishing vessels because it was yeah. too big. And it was also too bright to be bioluminescent, so I don't know what it was. But you well, know, it, it I mean, and underwater volcanoes was given up as an explanation. There was a lots of interesting ideas. I mean, it could be
0: something plasma formed.
3: Yeah, yeah, it could be. It could be that kind of unknown natural phenomena, ball lightning type stuff. But yeah. it would still have been whatever it was would have been enormous, or it wasn't as far below them as they thought. They yeah. everybody was assuming it
0: was down in the ocean. Enor- or, or, or enormous or a lot of it, a lot of smaller bits of it that looked like one.
3: Yeah, yep. Hmm. But a bunch of dim light doesn't usually become really bright light. True, it can, true. It can it can glow sort of, but it isn't going to be super bright. I don't know. There was a, that was a really strange and interesting report.
0: Yeah, I'm. am Well, I guess they did try to debunk it as fishing boats. I was going to yeah. say I'm surprised there weren't some some more lame uh, explanations. Well, fishing boats is pretty lame. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I mean it would have been a lot of fishing boats if it if that's what it was I mean, and that's the thing. The explanations these people are so desperate just to explain away the weirdness that that their explanations are usually nonsense yeah it
3: it's it's like they're they feel like they have to forestall the weird explanations, right? They have yeah, to come out and yeah. just you know that even if even if there's no evidence whatsoever that it is what they think it is, they're trying to say. It's more likely to be fishing boats than it is to be aliens, is what they're really saying. Right, right. It's yeah. actually Cthulhu. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's what it was. He was just <laughs> popping his head up for a bit.
3: Yeah, it was the, what's
0: his city called? The city of Raleigh? yeah. Yeah, Relay. yeah. <laughs> Although we always expect green light with Cthulhu, red works. Yeah. There was some purple in there. That's Cthulhu-ish. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, with any of this stuff, you get the, the the skeptics who are so certain. There's and to me, that just suggests that they are terrified of things they can't explain.
2: They're not skeptics because yeah.
0: they're so certain. Yeah, right. I mean. Exactly. Yeah. Skeptics
3: question. Right. That's why. So the other the other thing is, and we did a I think we did some reporting on this book a long time ago, but I, one of Ivan T. Sanderson's books. He actually goes into like he. He tackles a bunch of cryptids, so it's it's yeah. a good book for that. But he also
0: uh goes into some of the ocean the anomalous ocean lights. Well he did a whole book on that. Yeah. Uh, on underwater UFOs. It's fantastic. Yeah. He's one that's of the right. few people who has done that. It's kind of an untapped sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, but he specifically had a bunch of work
3: on those what are they the the what do they call them? The wheels. It looks like wheels in yes. the water. Yeah, or that
0: and that's what were, that's what Thor High hey and do- hey, uh, the Kontiki expedition saw <laughs> yeah high <and, laughs> nice end high yeah, yeah, uh, yeah i, I, I can't say it <laughs> <laughs> words are yeah, hard I, sometimes I, okay
3: <laughs> yeah i liked i like sanderson's idea that um that it was a it was a problem of perspective with those bands of light you know he was he had this cool explanation at least for some of the reports where he was like cuz it cuz the reporters the, the people reporting it the event would say there seemed to be a, a hub out far away from the ship. And then there were these spokes coming past them. Yeah. And so it looked like a wheel
2: Fort reported on this too.
3: Yeah. Fort had some of this in his book and we went through it. Uh, and Sanderson was saying, well, maybe this is a problem of of perspective, uh, that, you know, maybe the bands are all actually parallel lines, but because they're so huge and they go so far out into the distance that it looks like it's a, a rotating wheel.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think we I think we tried to figure this out. Um some of the reports we it didn't the, work out. Yeah, yeah, because when they looked in the other direction they were spreading apart.
3: Yeah. That's right. But in some cases they the it seemed like a ship was on that there were two wheels like and they were deer. rotating, yeah, yeah, that they were rotating opposite each other and and so Sanderson's explanation was this was a problem of perspective. Huh. Uh, but it, still it was it's enormous parts of the ocean being lit up in this In this way but the but the specific event we're talking about that kyle reported on a couple of days ago on our show or last week was just a steady glow it's not
0: bands of light so there was a an article i pulled out to talk about potentially on this show that talks about how we do not see in three dimensions and that that i mean with a lot of this stuff i i feel like our perceptions are are not what we think they are uh and so this was a quote um it, well, so it's basically talking about how the way, of, the way that we see things is influenced by our culture and our experience and stuff like that. Like we learn to see in three dimensions. Uh, right. And that, oh, that just totally took me away from where I needed to be. And now I don't know where I am.
3: Cool. Well, I, definitely, I definitely don't think in three dimensions or see in three dimensions now. <laughs> I know this.
0: <laughs> so there, there's an illusion, and I got to pull up the web view here to to see it's it's an illusion of two lines that if you look at them, most people would say they're different sh- different lengths, but they're actually the same length. But it said that um, let me see here. Okay, uh, it's not. We've actually learned how to see this stuff improperly. Mm-hmm. Um, t- t- for instance, has shown the significant cross cultural variation in responses to the Mueller Lion liar illusion and so what it is it's it's one line that has a couple of arrow points in it and then it has the same two lines but separated and it says as a result having the wrong course of childhood experience might leave lead us to perceive certain things wrongly interestingly interestingly there may be real world examples of this for instance um, oh, yeah. So the cross, yeah, I started up where I was. Europeans find the illusion much more powerful than members of traditional African cultures. The cause of the illusion and the reason for this cross-cultural variation is not well understood. Some have uh, hypothesized that susceptibility to illusion is a result of living in a carpent- carpentered environment with lots of right angles. Mm. Others have hypothesized that it's due to spending a lot of time looking at two-dimensional images of three-dimensional objects. Whatever the case is, the fact that our way of seeing the illusion is influenced by culture shows that it is a product of experience and not biologically hardwired.
3: Yeah, I, okay, so Kyle pulled it up. I see what's happening with those arrow lines. You're, you're, Well, I think I see what's happening. What my brain is trying to tell me is that they're pers- the, the arrows on the ends are perspective lines. Yeah. So it makes the uh, it makes one of them look closer to you than the other, and so the one that is uh, farther away looks longer, because you think it's farther away. That's mm. I think what's supposed to be happening there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if I if I would describe it for the listeners, there's there's one line that has arrows at the ends, and the arrow shapes are pointing outwards. Yes. So and then there's another line that has the arrow shapes pointing in towards the line, and those look like perspective lines. So. I can't, I can see how the lines may look, they appear longer and
0: shorter, but they're actually the same length. I think that's the goal. That's, yes. the, that's the point. Yeah. That, okay. that is exactly the point. And, and it's the fact that our brain doesn't, you know, with any optical illusion, it's, it's showing us it's interpreting. Yeah. And I there's, don't think people yeah. understand the level of interpreting our brains do. Right. So, especially when you're seeing something that is completely new or novel or unknown, your brain can go anywhere with that. It's like, I, Yep. Maybe it's this, you know? Yeah. So, and I think that that includes seeing lights under the water. It's going to be hard to judge that because it's not something we're, we're used to seeing.
3: Yeah. There's a, couple of, there's a couple of things that I always think of with this, especially when you're talking about stuff that's just more enormous than we can really deal with. You know, perspectives in space, for one thing, are would be, you can imagine how difficult they would be. Like, you know, how, um, for example... Ah, uh, meteor showers are supposed to have a radiant point, like a, a point in the sky that they see that the, all the meteors for that particular shower seem to come from. They originate from that and fly out from it in every direction. Right, but that's that's just a problem of of perspective. They're not coming from that point. They're not all radiating out. It's that we're intersecting a band of material, but the band is so enormous that it it has a vanishing point. Yeah, yeah. So the van the vanishing point is the radiant. In our perspective, but it looks like they are all coming from a single place and radiating outwards.
0: And, th- and, you know, that's part of the problem with with any kind of astronomy. I mean, we're looking out from a single point. Yeah, that's right. And we're trying to make deductions based on that. And I, and I think we do a decent job, but I think we also make some assumptions that don't work. Yeah. And then we don't like letting go of those things. That's right. You know, just as people in general, we don't like letting go of the things we believe. It's like, oh, that makes so much sense. That's what I'm going with. It proves. And, and then when you see evidence that that's not the case, it's like, no, I, I, I still think it's the case. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a human thing. You know, we, we, we like to stick to those beliefs. So
3: are you tying, are you tying this somehow to, uh, to the way people interact with other paranormal phenomena? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean that's something I've been I've been talking about a lot lately. Um, and again, it goes back to that invisible gorilla stuff, like the 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 level to which our perceptions deceive us and reinterpret things and add stuff and take stuff out versus what's really there are two hugely different things. And that's right. not and that's not to say people aren't having paranormal experiences. You know that they're. I'm not saying people are misinterpreting normal things. I'm saying that when you have a paranormal experience, your brain doesn't always know what to do with it.
3: Yeah. Or it tries to do stuff with it and can possibly give you a very skewed perspective of what happened. Is right. That, that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, because, uh, you know, years ago, when, when this this was always a great example to me. The the Google blimp, uh, if I remember right, it went like haywire. And it was seen over a whole part of, I want to say the Midwest, maybe Tennessee, somewhere in there. Uh, and a whole bunch of people reported it. And all the reports matched, you know, like and, and to me, A – it said people are reporting what they see because that's one of the whole thing with UFOs. People say, oh, well, you know, people are just mistaken. Well, the blimp, which we were later able to find out was just this Google blimp, they all described accurately. There was no ridiculous, expl- you know, descriptions or anything else. All the yeah. descriptions were very accurate to what these people were seeing, even though they didn't know what they were seeing. But two Man. people can have a, U- two or three people can have a UFO encounter and all see completely different things. Yeah. So
2: either See, that that right there illustrates a way to do scientific tests on this type of thing like you can an organization really interested in this stuff with a budget could put things into the sky and fly them randomly in places without saying anything and get get the reports get the reports and and actually study them when when the whatever the phenomenon is
0: is known yeah to the people who set it up yeah well isn't that kind of what our military does <laughs> yeah, but we don't have that data, man. No, yeah. we don't, certainly. <laughs>
4: yeah.
2: I'm talking about, you know, public stuff. Here. Uh, but but yeah. yeah, that would be a way to study it, to to be able to come up with a, some good probabilities of accuracy. Uh, uh,
3: yep. You know what I mean? And this goes back to Fort. He Fort was constantly pointing out how the scientific establishment of his time and the years previous in the journals that he was reading were were using their ability to sort of look down their noses at regular people and their explanations for what they saw as a way to debunk the weirdness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, that, that, that's the whole point is that there was there was always somewhere in there in the explanation that was being given by the authorities at the time. They were just like, well, these peasants don't know what they saw.
0: Yes. Yes. You know. Stupid farmers think the rocks fell from the sky. Right. You know, yeah. it's like what, and then you know, with UFO things, you get you know police reports, and even then, you know, the skeptics will be like, "Oh well, they were just mistaken. They saw Venus. They chased Venus through the entire state, right? Yeah, yeah. All the all these all these police officers were just chasing Venus.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you <sighs> know,
2: what, you know what bothers me. What? We've been farming for six years, and I mean, I haven't seen anything crazy come from the sky out there. But yeah, there's the deal? so many accounts of farmers finding crazy shit in their fields. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. What's the deal, yeah.
3: universe? Why are we being left out? Yeah, we became farmers just to experience this weirdness because that's who it happens to. You.
0: So you wanted the abduction experience like uh, Antonio there, where he was brought up onto the ship and. Had sex with an alien and
3: Well, I was thinking more like pancakes,
2: you know. <laughs> I was thinking of like a giant uh steel ball that buried itself in the in the soil out well, there. Well, that would be field, cool too, you know.
4: yeah. Yeah. Mm, okay.
2: That rolls on its own and stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. The well, Bet Sphere. That's it. That's what I was trying <laughs> yeah. to remember what the name of it was. <laughs> and that's one of those things where you look at the weirdness around it, you're like, I have no idea if this is actually weird or not. Yeah. I mean, because so it's I have a Oh, go ahead. Go, no, go ahead.
2: Well, I have a, I have a story that kind of goes back to, to the ocean stuff that we okay. were talking about. This is, uh, um, I don't have to read the whole thing, but basically, uh, let's see, where can I start here? Um, they found a series, they, they found these strange, weird holes in the bottom of the ocean, like 2,000 oh, yeah. feet under yeah. water with this, with this, you know, underwater drone hmm.
0: sub. And they look artificial,
2: yeah, they're in a straight line. They're in, and there's multiple sets of these that they find. They're in straight lines. They're sort of dash-shaped holes. So think of a dotted line. Yeah. And they're excavated. They have little piles of the of the sediment laying next to them, like wow. something dug them out. Oh man. Um, they do give a measurement, but basically the scientists are trying to figure out. Uh, you know, after uh, it says after a remotely operated camera noticed the oddities on July twenty third. 2022. Uh, this was a NOAA Ocean e- Exploration voyage to the Ridge. Uh, they're they're in the Mid Atlantic Ridge, north of the Azores. Okay. By the way. All right. The holes are about 2,540 meters below the sea surface. God. They form nearly straight lines and look organized. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Um, the second voyage to the Ridge, t- 2022 expedition. They observed several sublinear sets of holes in the sediment on the seafloor at a depth of approximately 2,540 meters. While the holes look almost human-made, the little piles of sediment around them suggest they had been excavated. We attempted, but were not able to take a peek into the holes and poke them with the tools on the remotely operated vehicle. It was also not apparent as to whether the holes were connected beneath the sediment surface. Mm. So anyway, they have no idea about these, but they're... They had been previously observed before as well uh, in some other expedition. But
3: uh, you know what that sounds like is an exploratory
2: exploratory trenches. See, I was thinking it was like some kind of, um, you know, the UFO is under there and it's got these little, you know, gas relief jets. It's like, oh
4: yeah,
3: (laughs) it's like, (laughs) I don't know.
2: I just was thinking buried UFO.
3: Right. (laughs) There are. But But it's also the kind of Ex, you know the exploratory trench you would a bunch of them little pits you would make if you're looking for an archaeological site, yeah, yeah, and if it's near the azores,
2: you know now these are really small uh let me see yeah they, what is the size they, they have the sizes in here um i'll I'll find them here in a second okay the yeah, only other, the
0: only other thing I can think of is I mean there are certain sea animals that actually create art oh yeah. And so, I mean, maybe there could be something down there we're not aware of that's digging these holes for whatever reason. Well, clearly, you just need to follow the dotted line to the end. Oh, well, that would make sense. Why didn't they do that?
2: (laughs) So it says each set of holes appeared track like lengths of individual series ranged from uh, less than one meter to many meters. Uh, Each was straight or gently curved. Some series intersected or crossed. Close examination of the holes showed them to be elongate, with the long axis parallel to the axis of the series. So, like a dotted, like a yeah. dotted line or yeah. a dashed line. Yeah. Uh, the holes were, uh, what is it says the holes were ca dot six by one point five centimeters. What does mm. ca stand for there? No I don't idea. know. With so six by one and a half centimeters. So they're one and a half centimeters wide, six oh, centimeters long. Okay, so they're
3: long. very small. So they're not.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. With distance between the holes similar to the hole length. The holes that appeared to be most recently formed were each surrounded by raised sediment. Holes that appeared older were partly filled with sediment, and the raised surrounding sediment was less obvious. So it mm-hmm.
3: wasn't done all at once.
2: Right? No, yeah. Some of them are older, some of them are new. Huh. Pretty cool.
3: Yeah, so that, that being that small, I mean, they're, they're long tracks, but they're small, so maybe they are. Maybe it is some kind of animal.
2: Yeah. It's, it seems like it would be some kind of animal, but it's, it's strange how regularly, regularly yeah. they yeah. are, you know?
0: Yeah. Hmm. I, I, I don't know. Like, like my guess would be some sort of animal, but that's just a guess. Yep. A mud worm. <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's Cthulhu again.
4: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, I had, what else did I have here? Oh, this, this one's up you guys' alley. Uh, earth is suddenly rotating faster. Oh no. Uh-oh. And the shortest day has just been recorded. All right. Uh 2020 had the had the 28th shortest day since 1960. The shortest huh. day in 2021 was longer than it was in 2020, reversing the trend from the previous year. But on June 29th, 2022, our planet made its fastest ever rotation, and on Ju- uh July 26th, 2022, there was a day that lasted 1.50 milliseconds less, apparently. Wow! And they have no idea why. their Their ideas are: um, some have postulated that less weight on the poles results from the resulting from the melting of the glaciers. Others note that the molten core of our planet's interior is moving over time. Seismic activity could be another related cause. Yet others surmise that the movement of the Earth's geographic poles across its surface. Notice the Chandler wobble, maybe what's happening hmm. um, i would
2: i would imagine that the um that the moon's proximity to the earth would have some effect on this because yeah, it, where- it causes it to bulge yeah so if the bulge is not as much it's going to spin faster right it's conservation of yep. angular momentum and
3: where and where all the planets are and there's a whole bunch
0: of stuff probably that affects it well there's a lot of cosmic stuff too that they paid no attention to yeah. Like like we act like the earth is kind of like its own little system when in reality. Yeah, closed, closed yeah. system. Yeah. It's like they Stand barely up real
2: fast and then we can build giant pyramids with huge blocks and then we can <laughs> slow it back down.
3: <laughs> Wasn't that someone's theory? I don't know. I think Jesus Gamara thinks that
0: uh there was less gravity a long time ago. Well, I think someone but I think someone had postulated the idea that the, the Pyramids around the world were some kind of balancing mechanism to no to steady the earth or something. Yeah, steady the wobble. Yeah,
2: it's yeah, not, it's, it's not enough. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, Put the, it,
2: putting a speck of, of sand on your wheel to to balance it.
0: Yeah, I'm, I mean, I've heard repeatedly, and I don't, I haven't sourced out the data that. uh all the planets in the solar system are heating up currently. Yeah, I've heard that too, and I I don't know if that's completely true. I've heard it enough that that there seems to be some source to it. Um, but again, if if that's the case, and there's something affecting the solar system from outside, and yeah. who, who knows what other cycles we're in, that we just you know we could be passing through some kind of cosmic something that that causes you know more heat to be created. Yeah.
3: Yeah, our, and uh, probably our star is a lot more variable than than we've thought. Oh yeah, you know that, that scientists thought. I think uh, uh, that's probably going to be a big part of it. I, I don't see a reason why a star should be extremely stable over a long period of time. Uh, we we know that our weather on the pla- on on Earth has just it has craziness built into it, mm-hmm. uh, and it's really complicated. Um, you know, it's it's a very complex. Mechanisms. so the sun probably has similar mechanisms that we just have no way of understanding so and who knows what's going on inside of it right
0: right and and the thing- hollow <laughs> the hollow sun well i mean the 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 electric universe postulates that it kind of is hollow yeah yeah, yeah. i remember that and, and so if they're right and it's more like a, a giant light bulb where most of it's its its outer surface, and that's and we know it's cooler inside than the outside, just like a light bulb. Yeah, I think you're talking about with the sunspots that we see it. there are basically a hole through the um
3: through the surface, and they look they appear to be cooler down there than they are than the surface is. Yeah.
4: Well,
0: we've been able yeah. to measure below the surface, and the temperature below the surface is less than on the surface. The the surface of the sun is way hotter than the inside. Yeah. Which doesn't yeah, make sense for a controlled nuclear explosion that's been going on for billions of years. <laughs>
2: yeah, it is strange, Then that I'm pretty sure that that data comes from looking at the sunspots. Wherever.
3: I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Because yeah. the, o- the
3: only way to see through the surface of the sun is to look down into a sunspot. So there's some kind of uh, there's some kind of reaction there. Whatever it is, they the sunspots are are holes in the surface, and it is cooler inside them than it is on the surface
0: elsewhere. Yeah,
4: for so sure. strange. Yeah,
0: so I mean, who, and like I said, who knows what other cycles we're involved in? Yeah, you know, we have we have the great year, which you know may be rotation around another center of gravity with another star, and beyond that, I mean, who knows what else there is? We're moving up and down the plane of the ecliptic to the to the center of the Milky Way, so we could be moving through anything that you know we're just not even aware is there. Yep. And it seems yeah, like.
3: I Go think ahead. we're in a uh, the last time I was reading about this, you know the, the basically the, the location of the solar system in the galaxy, we're in something called the local bubble. Um, but're I think we're supposed to be moving out of it, and the local bubble is supposed to be a kind of a, a sort of a clear area in the what you would think of as just the galactic stuff, the dust and yeah. The gas yeah and it's a bubble that was caused by a very old supernova. Um, so the supernova pushed all the stuff outward. So we've been moving through this relatively open and clear area for a long time. And we're moving back into the more dusty, you know, gaseous material, which would just cause friction just yeah. by itself. So
0: which could cause heating of the outer planets and stuff and frogs to fall oh, frogs <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. Well, that's just a glitch in the matrix. <laughs> And I mean, the thing about that is that that would be an explanation if we were in a, you know, if we were in a virtual reality, a glitch could entirely cause that. Oh yeah,
3: absolutely. Or it's something else. Or it's, it's programmed in. Yeah. That was my, my favorite idea is that, that there's just a system. And I think Fort talked about this too, that there's a system and its job is to occasionally rain life onto the planet. Hmm. Uh, you know. And it's probably always doing it with microbes and viruses and stuff oh, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But occasionally you get frogs and fish and worms.
0: Dude, there's uh, something there's something up with frogs because not only do they rain from the sky, but they're occasionally found in like million year old cold ve- coal veins. Yes. That's
3: that's that's what I'm saying. So sometimes the the system is is kind of broken, right? <laughs> and it's it tries to rain frogs where there used to be a swamp but now there's a mountain. It was a bad spawning location. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> um one, one of the articles I had grabbed for tonight or for at some point uh came from uh a alien. It says our universe is most likely flat, astrophysicists say. Uh yes, I saw this. Flat, flat universe flat people. Universe. <laughs> and I mean they 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 basically suggest there's three likely scenarios that that either it's Um, closed, open, and flat. Uh, So the closed universe is finite in size, and due to its curvature, traveling far enough in one direction will lead back to the starting point. Open and flat universes are infinite, and traveling in a constant direction will never lead back to the same point, although they speculate that a flat universe could be like a Mobius strip, so that that you might eventually end up back in the same spot. But again, we're looking at all this stuff from our tiny little viewpoint in space. And like it, it, it's such a small vantage point. And
3: we're also, I just, I've always wondered how, you know, when you, when you do experiments, for example, how you know, how many, how many times have we heard uh, something like, uh, you know, radio telescope scientists were, they thought they picked something up. Then it turned out that somebody was just microwaving their casserole in the <laughs> cafeteria nearby. right? <laughs> right. So you don't, so you don't, you don't want to do your very delicate experiments next to another powerful source of energy.: yes. And We're sitting next to this star. Uh, <laughs> however, whether it's thermonuclear or totally electromagnetic, it doesn't matter. It's a no. seriously powerful source of energy. And I feel like I feel like if we could ever get out of its away from its influence into actually interstellar space, we might find out some more interesting things. And then you know you may even have to eventually using the stuff you figured out out there, get outside of the galaxy's influence to really learn the real fundamental basics about how space works.
0: Yeah. And, you know, when you see these pictures, like from the new telescope, which have just enhanced what we already had that was mind-boggling. Yeah. You know, to make any assumptions about our, our universe is just... I mean, right. You know, it's like, oh yeah, all this just exploded from a single singularity. Yeah, we can't even conceive of the size of our solar system, much less the size of our galaxy, and then we're looking at pinpricks that are entire other galaxies.
3: Yeah, I loved the simulation jokes about that. That that we we were going to strain the CPU that was running the simulation by looking because you know you it doesn't have to like render that stuff as right. Long as you're not. looking. <laughs> but if we keep building better and better telescopes, we're going to strain the, uh, the simulation by making it render more and more yeah. detail. And it's
2: going to start raining frogs a That's lot right. more often. It's
3: gonna, stuff's going to start really going wrong.
2: So what were they doing back in the 1800s that was causing all these things to go wrong?
4: <laughs> hmm,
0: It's an interesting question. um i had another one here where the hell i I have a
3: i have a story that kind of pulls us back to cryptids and how we interpret things okay um so people probably know about homo floresiensis this is the hobbit yeah uh and remember that um a couple of things i'll say before we start this article this is really cool actually it's it's an opinion piece uh it's from the-scientist.com which is a website for a magazine but uh this is be- this is being written by an author he wrote a book uh where he was doing research on this um but what i want to say is that number one the, dis- the 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 discovery of this hominid really was it rocked the scientific world like it- this was this was this blew their minds that this was possible yeah number one and number two they were looking at fossil evidence and they were thinking it was 20, 30, 40,000 years old right? right. That, this, that these species died out. So this, this is called Another Species of Hominin May Still Be Alive. In 2004, the scientific world was shaken by the discovery of fossils from a tiny species of hominin on the Indonesian island of Flores, labeled Homo floresiensis. And dating to the late Pleistocene, the species was apparently a contemporary of early modern humans in this part of Southeast Asia. Yet in certain respects, the diminutive hominin resembled australopithecines and even chimpanzees. Twenty years previously, says the author, when I began ethnographic fieldwork on Flores, I heard tales of human-like creatures, some still reputedly alive, although very rarely seen. In the words of the H. Floresiensis discovery team's leader, the late Mike Morwood, last at the University of Wollongong in Australia, descriptions of these hominids fitted Floresiensis 2A.T., So in other words, the the descriptions of the locals that they were saying, we have seen these things, fitted what they thought floresiensis looked like exactly. So not least because the newly described fossil species was assumed to be extinct, I began looking for ways this remarkable resemblance might be explained, and the result is a book called Between Ape and Human. Coming from a professional anthropologist and ethnobiologist, my conclusions will probably surprise many. They might be even more startling than the, the discovery of H. floresiensis which was once described by paleoanthropologist Peter Brown of the University of New England as tantamount to the discovery of a space alien, unlike other books concerned with hominid evolution. The focus of my book is not on fossils, but on a local human population called the Leo and what these people say about an animal, as they describe it, that is remarkably like a human, but is not human, something I can only call an ape man. My aim in writing the book was to find the best explanation, that is, the most rational and empirically best supported of Leo accounts of these creatures. These include reports of sightings by more than 30 eyewitnesses, all of whom I spoke with directly. And I conclude that the best way to explain what they told me is that a non-sapiens hominid has survived on Flores to the present or very recent times. Between Ape and Human also considers general questions, including how natural scientists construct knowledge about living things. One issue is the relative value of various sources of information about creatures, including animals undocumented or yet to be documented in the scientific literature, Hmm. and especially information provided by traditionally non-literate and technologically simple communities, such as the Leo, a people who 40 or 50 years ago anthropologists would have called primitive. To be sure, the Leo don't have anything akin to modern evolutionary theory with speciation driven by mutation and natural selection. But, if evolutionism is fundamentally concerned with how different species arose and how differences are maintained, then Leo people and other Flores Islanders have for a long time been asking these same questions. Leo folk zoology and cosmology also include stories of natural beings, specifically humans, transforming permanently into animals of other kinds. And they do this in part by moving into new environments and adopting new ways of life, thus suggesting a qualified Lamarckism. So, that's, so basically he's saying that they, their, their idea of what happens sometimes is that humans can degrade into animalistic forms mm. rather than what modern science thinks of as animalistic forms have to evolve into more advanced ones like humans. And Lamarckism, I think, is basically a nod to, um, uh, what's it called, uh, epigenetics, where, le- where acquired traits during a lifetime can be passed on to offspring. Right. So this is how you could a human population to- could degrade into an animalistic thing. You go somewhere, you acquire traits that make you more animalistic, that makes your kids more animalistic, and so on and so forth. So this guy says, as my fieldwork revealed, such posited changes reflect local observations of similarities and differences between a supposed ancestral species and its differentiated descendants. Like the majority of named categories in Leo animal classification, these derivatives coincide with the species or genera of modern systematics. At the same time, Leo distinguished humans from non-human animals in much the same way as do modern Westerners. That is, not just on morphological grounds, but by attributing complex expressions of culture, language, and technology exclusively to humans. Like other folk zoologists, the Leo put humans first, most notably as the origin of non-human animals, a sort of Darwinism in reverse. Hmm. And in contrast, evolutionary theory puts humans or hominids last, just as does the biblical story of Genesis. Yet in all instances, the position confers on Homo sapiens a unique status, thereby separating us from the rest of the animal kingdom. For the Leo, the ape man's appearance as something incompletely human makes the creature anomalous, and hence problematic and disturbing. For academic scientists, H. floresiensis is similarly problematic, but not so much for its resemblance to H. sapiens, but rather it's because the species appears very late in the geological record, surviving to a time well after the appearance of modern humans. Whether H. floresiensis would have been any harder or easier to accept had it been interpreted as a bipedal ape rather than a species of human is difficult to say. Nevertheless, it's interesting that Morewood, taking an implicitly unilinear view of hominin evolution and arguing for the species' inclusion in Homo, spoke of the evidence that the diminutive hominin walked the Earth relatively recently as one good reason to classify H. floresiensis in our genus. For this can only mean that, in the view of this author, what survives until recent, time, re- until recent times has to somehow belong with us. As mm. for the ape-men the Leo classify them or identify them as animals. In fact, they are one of several animals that Leo people claim descended from humans. But this classification has nothing to do with geological dating or any paleoanthropological evidence. Instead, the Leo people, who distinguish natural from supernatural beings in essentially the same way religious Westerners do, interpret ape-men as non-human animals with reference to observable features that clearly separate them from invisible spirits from other, more familiar animals, and, of course, from people. Some features of the ape-men might suggest a scientifically undiscovered species or population of modern apes, but Leo's statements mostly count against this hypothesis, as does all we know about the biogeography of eastern Indonesia. Our initial instinct, I suspect, is to regard the extant ape-men of Flores as completely imaginary. But, taking seriously what Leo people say, I've found no good reason to think this. What they say about the creatures, supplemented by other sorts of evidence, is fully consistent with a surviving hominin species, or one that only went extinct within the last 100 years. Paleoanthropologists and other life scientists would do well to incorporate such indigenous knowledge into continuing investigations of hominin evolution in Indonesia and elsewhere. Interesting. Says, for, reasons I dis- for reasons I discuss in the book, no field zoologist is yet looking for living species of H. floresiensis or related hominin species, but this does not mean they cannot be found.
0: And how, how does this connect, I wonder, into Bigfoot? Yeah, that's yeah. What, uh, this is kind of what I was getting
3: at is, is here we have an example of a possible, the possible current or extant existence of an unknown hominin living alongside of humans for a long time. There's indigenous wisdom and knowledge about them. It's mostly being ignored by modern scientists, even though at this point the modern scientists now agree that such a thing did exist at one point in the past. Right. So this guy has, has stuck his neck out and said, well, look, I talked to these people. And, you know, he's a, what did he say? He's an anthropologist and an ethnobiologist. And he's like, I don't see any reason why we should ignore their accounts when their descriptions of this fossil evidence we found fits it. It fits. And these people are saying, no, they still, they're still around, or at least they were very, until very recently. So he spoke to people who had witnessed them. Yeah. And so I mean, yeah, if Bigfoot, you know, little people, uh, the idea that there can be a population of human-like beings living in deep forests or in jungles or you know uh, in remote areas and are still encountered occasionally by regular people is, I think, is really strengthened by this entire argument and this whole. Um, this whole discovery.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, when they did the... the They were looking for Bigfoot, I think, down in India, and they, they discovered that there was an undiscovered bear species there. Yep. You know, from the hair samples. I mean, they didn't find Bigfoot, but, I mean, still, they found something that, that you know, they act like, well, we've, we've discovered all the, the major big life <laughs> on the planet, but yet right, we keep yeah. finding more. Yeah.
3: Yeah, that the only thing left to discover is, like, bugs... Yeah. You know, and maybe some plants and maybe some small things in the ocean, but it's it's not it's not true.
2: <laughs> I just I really like the idea of hybridization too. I mean, you I I yeah. feel like you have to include hybridization into the evolutionary model. Yeah. And that that could produce uh what would seem like to humans uh the a degradation or as you put it. Like yeah, you know, I'm not suggesting people go try this for science, but I mean...
3: <laughs> Do it for science!
2: People, <laughs> like, you know, humans mating with other animals could possibly produce hybrids that d- are somewhere between or yep. completely outside of the, um, you know, the traits of the two beings. Yep. So yeah. you see this yeah. in, in hybrid animals where two anim- two different species of animal can hybridize and produce uh, another species that has traits that are um, outside of the two combined traits, like say take size for example.
3: Was it is it the liger that's huge? It's bigger than both parents. The, yeah, the, the lion and the tiger. There's one of them that where there's a known there's a known trait that it it is out far out beyond the either the traits of either right. of the parent species. So you
2: can produce giants yeah. from from two animals that are not giants. Right, right. and you can produce. You know, uh, like dwarves so or the you yeah. Know, what do you what do you call it the the
3: hobbits hobbits from, yeah. from
2: two species that are larger
3: right. And what's interesting about that kind of thing is that any trait can do that. You know, in this case, we're talking about size, but it can be any trait can have something that is far outside of the of of the the traits of the parent species. The question is, is how far out, you know, how far apart in in speciation can something hybridize and you know there are some but, indications uh, that it can be far apart
2: again being you know considering like the intermediateist way of looking at it right you have two fairly close together species that then produce something like much seemingly outside yeah their normal traits then that thing can reproduce with back something breed. else well backbreed with the with this with its parent species or also breed with something else that's a little closer to what it is like. Yeah. That's and right. that keeps going over time. And and so, yeah, you, you find a new species of bear and it's like, Oh wow. Was that, has that bear been around for hundreds of thousands of years or did it just show up?
0: Yeah. 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 That's a very good point. I want to take a moment here and thank all of my Patreons for making, where did the road go? What it is. I want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more Chuck Shudders, Leanne Cherry, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, CJ, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain. Patricia Gayaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Mains, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy and Communicable, Chris Ernst, Greg Parmenter, Crystal Ann Compton, Diane B, Edu Kamahort, MTK, Eric Citron, Eric Todd, Jim Pyre, Joanna Rojas, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek. Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lynn's Jackson K., Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Patricia W., Paul Jeffries, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Roger Gonzalez, Ron Dupre, Sam Chiron, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Stephan D., and Amber Hall. Thank you all so very, very much.
1: Are you fascinated by UFOs, the occults, strange history, and more? On October 14th through the 16th at SIR Nashville, the Strange Realities Conference 2022 will take place. Three days of exploring the mysteries of the supernatural, history, UFOs, the occult, and much, much more. Featuring presentations by Steve Berg, Micah Hanks, John Tinney, Adam Gowrightly, Christopher Ernst, Samantha Engel, Recluse, Nathan Isaac, Melody Blackthorne, Dr. Future, Soraya Askath, Timothy Ritter, Aaron Goulias, Delaney Bowers, Olaf Phillips, and David Metcalf. With workshops by Kiki Dombrowski, Ren Collier, and Michael Hughes. Come join us in Nashville or online. Tickets are available at strangerealitiesconference.com. Find Find what everyone is talking about.
5: We live our entire lives knowing that death awaits us. Many believe that some part of us endures. Eyewitnesses swear to have seen spirits of the dead haunting the living and even appearing during alien abductions. Is the UFO mystery reaching out to us from beyond the stars? Or from beyond the grave? This staggering implication demands not only scrutiny of the UFO phenomenon, but near-death experiences, ancient monuments, ley lines, the folk, cryptids, and more. I'm Joshua Cutchen. I'd like to invite you into The Ecology of Souls, a new mythology of death and the paranormal. A comprehensive theory of all things supernatural framed through the lens of our final transition join me as we journey from the depths of prehistory to the present from the outer space of the cosmos to the inner space of the self ecology of souls volumes one and two now available from amazon in print and as a combined ebook welcome to the ecology of souls
3: All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back from the break. It is Brothers of the Serpent and Where Did the Road Go? We are joined by Saraya. We're doing a swap cast this episode, so thanks all of you from Where Did the Road Go listenership and from the Brothers of the Serpent listenership. And we're continuing our conversation. We're going through news stories and just whatever else comes to our mind.
0: Oh, I had one uh one here I pulled up uh that says uh, this is from futurism.com. Scientists say we may be extremely wrong about the universe. Oh, no. Uh Uh-oh. It's about time they figured that out. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It says, not to alarm anyone, but several scientists are saying we need to revamp our entire understanding of the universe. Instead of a uniformly expanding cosmos that looks more or less the same anywhere you go, some experts are now positing that the whole universe is actually skewed with profound implications for our understanding of the natural world. Subir Sarkar, a professor at the University of Oxford, tells new scientists that he's discovered evidence suggesting that our current understanding of cosmology is broken. Uh, we are very, we are in a very unenviable unenvi- position in that most of our colleagues don't even want to hear about this. The idea that the cosmos looks largely the same no matter where you go is, uh, is called the cosmological principle and it's been around in some form or another since the 1500s. Now though scientists like Sarkar say the way that we the way our own Milky Way moves through the universe could be interfering with our understanding of the rest. Sarkar mm. told new scientists that our relatively small number of known galaxies and the inability to know exactly how far apart they are leaves room to speculate. When a single animal slows down in a large herd, it looks like all the others are running away from it at a fast pace. In much the same way, it's possible that Earth only seems as if the universe is expanding at a given rate. Sarkar isn't the first to suggest our current models and rules for the cosmos don't exactly work. In 2020, new scientists also reported that the universe appeared to be expanding so much more quickly than we thought and was incompatible with the accepted model of physics. In 2021, Alexi, Alexia Lopez of the University of Central Lancaster found a giant line of galaxies that broke rules and theories too. Sarkar says that our current theories about the universe might be broken would be a massive, would mean a massive overhaul of existing theory. Many aren't willing to accept right now. But if there's one thing we know for sure, it's that our understanding of the natural world frequently looks wrong in retrospect. Yes. Mm. Ah, so. It's nice to see that on things like New Scientist. Yes.
3: Yep. What was that story that you had read the other day about the gravity? Yeah. So the
2: uh, gravity or the black hole idea? No, no.
3: The, the gravity that it get that as it gets weaker, it actually. Has oh a different yeah, effect.
2: yeah. So there's um, this guy has a has a theory, and it's basically he's he's taking a new look at the possibility of uh, dark matter just being a phenomenon of gravity itself. As opposed to some material material that we can't see, and the gist of the the theory was that what if very weak gravity does something different than in an, an extreme strong like in other words, that there's some kind of threshold that once you get to a certain level then it it starts to act differently yeah um, so he's been basically using this this model to uh, run the model on observations and t- to predict. Uh, I think it might have been the speeds at which these stars and other things might be moving, yep, or something like that, or the redshift, or this yeah, or that. Yeah, the
3: speed. So he, he basically, it's not. It isn't. It isn't too specific in what's going on, but he's just saying there is a mathematical model uh, that uses this idea that actually works a lot better because, at predicting it, right. the speeds of objects in other galaxies than the current accepted model does. Uh, the current
2: it, accepted model gives a, a range, right, of the, the speeds or something, and the range is very broad, and of course what we actually observe falls within that range. But then using his model, the range is much narrower, and it's, and what we actually observe is, still falls within that range. So it's like, well, this seems to be better. At predicting more precisely what's going on.
3: Yeah, but it's but the mathematical model, the way it's constructed, implies that something happens to gravity when it gets very weak. In other words, objects at the at the distant edges of galaxies are acting differently uh, based on the way gravity changes, and that this model explains it. And so, uh, or it doesn't explain it, but it actually predicts it. And so, this it it may implies that, that something is in, something interesting is happening with gravity, not that there's. A uh, uh, halo of dark matter around the galaxies controlling the speeds of these objects out there.
0: Hey, have you guys ever heard of the electric universe idea? Because
3: <laughs> <laughs> it explains all this stuff. It's just interesting. Yeah, it's just interesting that this mathematical model does it too. Because you know, when you look at when you look at how how what our understanding of gravity is, which all it is is math. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's no mech. There's no mechanism yep. for understanding the workings of gravity. Really, there's some ideas on possible mechanisms, but none of them have been accepted, right? Does,
2: does the electric universe model exclude the force of gravity? Like there is no force of gravity. No,
0: it's, it's just that they treat gravity as a weak force. So gravity, isn't the thing holding the solar system together. That's electrical charge. It's just
2: so much that it's hard to, hard to understand that because it's, it's so much stronger. Like it's so ridiculously more powerful than gravity.
4: Yeah.
0: The, um, and they've been able to, that's one of the interesting things, in the lab, they can create mini-galaxies. And they form just like the stuff we're seeing in the larger, you know, universe. They form into spiral arm galaxies and stuff like that, all done with electrical current. Yeah. And their, yeah. Bi- their big thing is that, you know, the standard model is literally all math and no actual reality.
2: Yes. When it comes to cosmology, I can agree with that. Yes. It's it's. I mean, there is there's our observations, right, that we have that, that we have, right. And you have to try to explain that with you know, uh, air quotes known phenomena, which we can observe and do experiments on down here, uh, sure. and that works pretty well. I mean, it it does work well. It doesn't explain everything though.
0: Right.
3: Right. Yeah. One of the one of the great quotes from the um, the Feynman lectures we just went through, the character of physical law. He quoted Newton. Uh, you know, when Newton first presented his laws of gravitation, that people were saying, "Well, this doesn't explain anything. It doesn't tell us, you know, why this why this happens." And he says, "I've told you how it moves, <laughs> not why." Right? Yeah. Which is which is that that's still the case today. You know, it's the 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 even with the adjustments by relativity and all that stuff, because you know the idea the math for for calculating gravity has changed a little bit. But it's still about how things move, not why they move that way. Yes,
0: yeah, and I mean it works well enough for us to send probes to other planets and so on and so forth. Yes. So it's it's not that it's completely wrong; it's that they're leaving out the electrical component. Just yeah, like could, just like the could. EU is. None of this is ever going to be a hundred percent. We're never going to know it perfectly.
3: Right, right, and it's it's just it's it's interesting how something so seemingly fundamental as the force of gravity can still yet to have any kind of uh, mechanistic or not mechanistic, but mechanical explanation. You know, like, well, what are the what is the thing that makes it do this?
2: Yeah. Whereas electricity is different. Like, they can look at the particles and they can see what's going on and they can kind of have somewhat of a theory of what what's yeah. causing the the electrical charge or whatever.
3: Yeah. But yes, what Kyle was saying, the differences in the strengths of those two forces is enormous. Uh, Feynman was pointing out that. The difference in the strength between the electrical force and the force of gravity is close to the difference between the sizes of the entire known universe in 1964 and a proton. That's Mm -hmm. a really big difference. (laughs) Yeah, and
2: his point about it was it's, it's so vastly different that they don't really have anything else to compare it to. That's like the best way they can give you a comparison. Yeah. Is the entire universe compared to the size of a proton, and it's that's it's not quite right, but it's, you know, there's nothing. In other words, he he says that people are looking for some other massive number like that. Yeah, but I guess it hasn't been found. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I just I I, I like the uh, the idea, like the electric universe idea that uh, electricity or the you know that that force is playing a much bigger role than is yep. than is, especially when you get into these these. Gigantic sizes like these these macro structures in the universe, galaxy clusters and all this kind of stuff, what you know and then you zoom in and you you know all these stars are are they have huge uh electromagnetic fields and there's all this stuff, and then you so yeah, you can imagine like does this on these really large scales, what is that force really doing yeah you know it, i don't know I, I I like that idea, but you still have to if if they accept that there is a gravitational force then i mean it's doing something too right right
0: oh definitely yes um i was trying to find a a uh like a concise explanation of the electric universe theory of gravity um and the best i found is what is the electric universe theory which just says the electric universe theory eu generally states that electricity is the engine behind a long natural long list of natural and astrophysical spectacles. It supports the idea that electricity powers the sun and stars and that cosmic occurrences are electrical in nature. The theory also suggests that the universe is a vast electric organism, chock full of yet-to-be-discovered masses, holes, relationships, and phenomena. EU advocates believe that we are at the beginning of exploring the possibilities around this concept. Since the first pamphlet was distributed in 1983, there have been many papers, books, and theses published on the Electric Universe Theory. While some of the tenets of the theory appear to be difficult to prove, the idea that the there is electricity throughout the universe and within every animal, plant, and elsewhere, we find plasma is undeniable. The subterranean electricity, known as telluric currents, to atmospheric electricity, for example, meteors, and from extraterrestrial or cosmic electricity to electrostatic phenomena electrical currents are visible and or audible all these things result from the interaction between electrical currents filaments atmospheres and formations of matter yeah it says the eu has been proven disproven celebrated and dismissed throughout the past 125 years and since tesla disappeared from planet earth
3: I don't want to go f- too far into the electric universe, but are they basically saying that meteors are really lightning bolts? I mean, are we going? No, is no, no, going no, no. Back
4: to
0: that. <laughs> they're, they're they're saying the re- it's not just heat that you're getting when they come in, but that, that you're you're getting, yeah, you're an- getting electrical discharges. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and especially with comets, they they talk about you know because the theory is well, comets are discharging gases and stuff as they heat up, but they're saying that's not what's happening. What you're getting is an electrical charge as the comet enters in further into the, the uh the sun's electrical field.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it does that does actually match up. And one of the things that they said, uh Walt Thornhill predicted that when they landed a probe on a comet, that there would be a massive electrical discharge. And so when they landed the first probe on a comet, there was this blinding flash. Yeah. And the standard model people were like, "Oh, that was just a glitch."
2: <laughs> and Walt like... for some like, reason that I mean, that doesn't—that's not surprising to me. I, I don't know why that is—is is controversial. I guess it's not surprising that there was an electrical that discharge. That, 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 yeah, that they're going to have different electrical
3: potentials, or it's not surprising that they were like, "It's just a glitch." But Neither one. Both of those things are not surprising, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, well, and the, even even in the standard model of how stars work, electri- uh, electrical force, electromagnetic force is a huge player. Yeah. In oh yeah. In the way it works, you know. So the idea that the sun is a, an enormous electromagnetic body is not completely out That's of. That's not controversial. It's not yeah. controversial. You know, it's just that the the standard model does think of uh, fusion as being the underlying driving force. Right. But. But the temperatures are supposed to be high enough to where all the electrons in the, in the atoms in the sun, in, in, any, in any star, are basically free-flowing. So they create massive amounts of electromagnetic force. And that's what solar flares are and CMEs are caused by. And, you know, the entire surface of the sun that we see is basically run by electromagnetic force. Yeah. But the, the standard model just says that the whole thing is powered by uh, the heat from fusion. Right, right. So I don't. I, I'm. I've never been really sure that you know that you could. You can't really separate the two. It's possible that it's really both of them are happening, and that maybe if you wanted to say, well, the the source of the power really is the electromagnetic force, and the fusion is a secondary effect. Well, that's, you know, that's also possible.
4: Yeah.
0: I don't think we know enough about the sun to be able to tell. Right. Yeah. I mean, the prediction, the thing about the EU is that their predictions are generally dead on, you know, like, like even Velikovsky, when Laird did his book, which you guys covered. Yep. You know, he showed that almost everything Velikovsky said has been proven by science in the last, what, 120 years? Or, or not disproven. Right. By yes. Experiments. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yet no one, no one in mainstream science will take Velikovsky seriously.
2: Well, you can't. That's a career killer.
0: Exactly. Do that.
2: Yeah. Speaking of Velikovsky, we got a we got a great comment from one of our listeners, the Mad Fiddler. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he he was listening to, um, let's see, uh, I guess he was listening to the Hidden History of the Human Race yep. book. But anyway, it goes off on this thing because there's a, I, I think I did a news story there where there's these two giant globs that they've been studying that are down on, in the mantle of the earth. Oh, yeah. You know, these, these two incredibly massive, dense objects that are outside of the core, but just sort of floating around in the mantle in certain places of the Earth. Mm. And combining that with, you know, the standard model of the Earth's moon formation, which one of the ideas is that we were hit by some object from outer space that blew out this giant piece of the Earth that, yeah, that yeah. then coalesced. And so he's pointing out Matt, uh, the mad fiddler here. Is pointing out that uh, this is the the standard model is that. There was an impact. Something was ejected from the planet, and then it became a regular orbit yeah. around the Earth. Yeah, and that is our moon. Right. But then when Velikovsky says,
3: "Couldn't have done that." No. Yeah. <laughs> there's
2: no way. That's what they say. There's <laughs> no way that something could hit Jupiter and eject a giant piece of the planet out, and then it would have a regular orbit around the sun. Right.
0: Well, it's, it's not possible. It's possible. Not possible. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great comment. I was,
2: I was like, "Yes, that's."
0: And even if so, it didn't, you know, even if it didn't come from Jupiter, um, you know, still th- there's evidence that Venus is a newcomer to the solar system, right? You know, even taking that out and saying, okay, maybe maybe that was that part was wrong. I mean, that it's still all the stuff Velikovsky predicted we would find out about Venus all turned out to be true.
4: Yeah,
3: but I I think the main problem people have is with the timeline of these events. You know, the yeah. moon thing is is safely four billion years in the past or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Venus doing this six thousand years ago or four thousand years ago or whatever is that's just too recent. When I was this talking, is, this is something that this is something that uh, you see a lot, and it seems like you see a lot in the in the in the standard views is that all these giant, massively catastrophic events are so far into the distant past that they're safely you know you can really just say well this is how something formed but it happened so long ago and it's not something that happens now or recently or that anybody could possibly have seen and written about yeah yeah and well, yet you do have i know at least that there are certain uh you know native american tribes and other people who have said that they talk about a time before the moon whatever yep. that means you know and yeah, that there's absolutely. there's some implications in other ancient sources that there was a time before Venus, or at least when Venus was a lot more irregular than it is now.
0: Yes. Oh, so, absolutely. And and, and yeah. that's that's you know one of the things that Laird looked at. He's like, okay, yes. since Velkovsky's time, let's see. And no, there is no record of Venus before certain points, and all those records suggest it's a comet. Yeah, and you know, going back to Fort, he was recording about
3: uh, the problem with eclipses, you know, and the, how there were there there were people that or there's records, ancient records of eclipses from people who otherwise recorded their astronomical observations very accurately. Yes. Who seem to have recorded eclipses that couldn't
0: possibly have happened according to our current models. Right. And uh, whatchamacallit talks about that too. uh, Laird. Yeah. So does uh, Scott, uh, Scott Crichton, because he's suggesting a a pole shift, like a full like reversal uh, that, that happens and then, and then uh, reverses itself again a, a certain point later. And the stuff he put together in his last book, uh the The Secret Chamber of the Pyramid, whatever it's called, um, was really interesting. Cause initially I'm going into it going, I don't know about the pole shift thing, but then as he's presenting the evidence of like the the accounts in Egypt where they say the sun rose in the west and set set in the east and all this other stuff, and then he's showing alignments on certain monuments toward the west for this same time period, and it's kind of like, huh, that's compelling. Yeah,
2: so okay. a geographic pole shift, not a not a magnetic pole shift. Right, right. Yeah.
0: Like the, the the like the planet literally flipped over.
3: Yeah, it's hard to understand how something that catastrophic could happen, and anything could survive. But you know, life will find a way. I just, I'm just saying, it's just it's difficult to well understand his, how his
0: theory didn't have it just flipping over overnight. Right. It wouldn't happen overnight. For so sure. he had it broken down where yes there were some disasters and stuff but it wasn't enough to destroy the you know all life on earth or anything. But what would the water do? That's my biggest
3: problem. I feel yeah. like oceans would just roll over the continents even I mean that's you you're having to change the you know the the, the movement the of all that water and it's going to slosh and Yeah. I just, oh yeah. I just I'm not sure how anything could survive. But maybe the fish and- are still raining out of the sky from when that happened. That's what you have to think of it like this
2: too. If you if you think of the 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 path of least resistance concept, right? If the whole crust of the entire planet flips over, that was the path of least resistance. That's, so that's where
4: true. True. where
2: does this re- massive resistance come from that would not allow it to continue in its current inertial state? Right? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's okay. uh, it's. It is hard to imagine what force.
3: And, and that's why, yeah, that's why Belikovsky Bele- be that. was saying it has to be an outside body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The only force that we know. I of love that, these ideas. Yeah, the I only have, force that we know of that could do that is the
0: close passage of another massive body.
3: Could be electricity, bro. Or it could be electricity. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> when I talked to Robert Schock about this at one point, uh, Shock <laughs> really likes the electric universe idea. Um, he did not like their timeline for Venus. And he said he thinks if the Venus thing happened and we had these close, it was probably the event that caused the electrical outbursts at the end of the Younger Dryas.
3: Right. And that, you know, that that's, I think that's still too recent for almost everybody in the scientific community. But still, that makes it more understandable for me. And you can still see how those stories could survive into the modern time yes uh carried forth just like so many other catastrophe stories have
0: well and it it would have taken thousands of years for venus to finally you know even uh in an electrical model it would take a while before venus finally you know settles down into a regular orbit yeah but if you think about it so if if venus was created let's let's say venus came out of jupiter it would have come out with lots of cometary debris it wouldn't have been a single piece. Sure. So you have the, uh, the first event that started the Younger Dryas, which was almost certainly cometary. And then you have the close approach of something larger that may have ended it by unleashing, you know, basically thunderbolts across the earth. And those thunderbolts, those plasma formations are recorded in most ancient cultures. We just didn't recognize them for what they were. Yeah. You know, everything from stuff in India to the Rangu Rangu script of uh Easter Island. Yeah. And the only That's right. and the only plasma formations not recorded are the ones that people couldn't survive if they saw. Right. Yeah, those are all very
2: interesting. Well, maybe they and died that. while
0: writing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of scary when you think about it that you could have these plasma outbursts that could just basically incinerate you. Yes. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, the Northern lights look all nice and stuff, but. Uh, right. Yeah. They're benign. <laughs> amp that up of. by a billion. Yeah. And there's still, you know, there's still
3: sort of, uh, it's interesting how people will tell you not to look at them too long. You know, that it can oh, really? be bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not, it's sort of a folk, folksy thing, you know, don't stare at them. Huh. Burn your eyes out, you know. Well, maybe that it's comes dangerous. from something. Yeah. That's yep. interesting. I've never heard that. Yeah, I've read it read it in a couple of different places. It's not anything that's, you know, it's sort of like throwing salt over your shoulder kind of Yeah.
0: Yeah, but that comes from something. There's yeah, a reason, it comes you from know. Somewhere. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just wish mainstream science was a little more open to looking at alternative ideas rather than only trying to prove its ideas. Yep.
2: <laughs> I agree with that. I going back to Feynman too is that we we did this recent series on Feynman's work. Um but he was basically saying that, as he's going through the history of discovery, um, all these you know brilliant people who worked on models and stuff, they'd, they'd, they'd come up with some idea and they'd figure out all, they'd, they'd develop this this model in their brain to explain some phenomenon, and that would ultimately they would, in many cases, arrive at something true about what was going on. but it never had to do with the model itself. Like the model always ended up being wrong and useless. Yeah. And so I think, you know, with what was it? It was Maxwell. Yeah. And he, he was
3: actually trying to combine the electro and magnetic
2: force. Right. So they had the electric yeah. force and they had magnetic forces. And Maxwell's like trying to figure this out. And so he comes up with this model of all these wheels and pulleys and stuff going on and and figures out the, the Maxwell equations, basically, that combine the two forces. And that seems to be true. But the model is completely useless
3: and definitely not happening, yeah right <laughs> his <laughs> so. ma- his math is good, but the yeah, but the but the, the you know his mechanism is wrong, yeah, right. so Feynman is just
2: pointing out that that over and over again we use these models to give us an idea of like okay, maybe this is how it's happening, but they always so far they're all wrong, yeah but the but you can you can arrive at something that's that matches our observations that is more mathematical or abstract.
3: Yeah, it can be predictive but not explanatory.
2: Yeah. So that's that's one thing about the you know the the idea of trying to trying to figure out like how plasma forms and the thunderbolts and all this kind of stuff can do all of these things. It's 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 an attempt to build this model. And I just don't know. You know, I'm just I'm curious about that. Like, and also, is it, how
3: the Earth could roll over on its poles. It's the same thing. It's yeah. like, you know, what what is really happening? What's actually going on? You know, we have this model in our head of like, well, how do you take something with that much inertia and and rotate it 180 degrees? You know?
4: So
0: all I think it's been a while since I read Crichton's book, but I think he's talking about the oldest pyramids were built. To survive the flood, for when the Earth flipped, and he talks about them being used to store grain and and other things that were needed to restart civilization. Hmm. Right down to saying that the the because expl- there was an explosion in the Great Pyramid. Yeah, and he shows how grain could actually have caused that explosion. Yeah, I know it can it can it can explode sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: I just have a hard time. Uh- imagining the pyramid as being a place to store grain. It's its so <laughs> tortuous. <as>
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> going, crawling around in, in it, you're just like, what the hell is this for? Yeah. Yeah. Well,
2: getting I, anything in there and then out again is a giant pain in the ass, I, I including think, just yourself.
0: I, <laughs> I do think that there was grain actually found in the chambers. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. So, I
3: it's mean... Just, but it's also been, it's been used by later cultures sure, over and over. Sure, sure. So... Just hard to
0: understand. But that also suggests that he you know, when you were talking about the oceans rolling over the land, that might have been Yeah p- part of what he now, was talking d- about. I can
3: I can definitely see how you would if you thought, all right, the water is going to just be rolling across the land in whatever for whatever reason, whether it's because the earth is flipping over or because there's going to be giant floods or impacts in the ocean or something, that you might build enormous
0: structures like this to survive it. Or underground cities like you see in yeah.
2: Turkey. Yeah, but then again, I mean, we've been to the to the Scablands in, in eastern Washington, and you're looking at thousands of feet of solid rock that were just ripped out of the ground. Yeah. By water. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, you build a tiny, I mean, you could have ripped uh, probably... Thousands of the Great Pyramids just right completely gone yeah. off the surface when in, in the amount of water that was going through that place. Right. But it might no have no problem. A, might have been a different type of thing. And it's much harder thing. rock too that it was <laughs> digging through. Yeah.
0: But it might have been a different type of thing. You could have had a, a slower rise that the pyramids survived.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. I, I'm not I'm not trying to say that there was never the, the water was never flowing past there. I'm just thinking of like trying to build something to
3: survive a catastrophic yeah. flood. Um, you got to build a bunch of them because you don't know which ones are going to be in the path, right? Of the floodwaters.
2: I'm just pointing out that a pyramid would not survive that path. That's right. No, at no, all. definitely no. not. And Nothing those, would
3: survive it. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: I was going to say they're they're the only thing on Earth that would have a chance, and they wouldn't survive. Right. But if you build a three-inch thick steel obelisk,
2: <laughs> it's going to survive.
3: Now, now he's making fun of a different story we read. <laughs> What's that? Uh, it was a story I found about people in modern times trying to build a what do they call it a, Time bl- a black box for the earth yeah okay. and they're like we made it out of three we made it out of three inch steel and kyle and I are already like okay it's gone <laughs> it's gone bye-bye <laughs> <laughs> and how long was it supposed to last well it's supposed to it seems like the goal is well first of all it's built it's got all these assumptions built into it about what's going to destroy the earth mm. um and of course, they're you know, but what their their goal is like we put they're like we put solar panels on it so it can be powered even if the grid goes down, and its job is to record climate data and also like Twitter or something, <laughs> uh, because they're try- what they're trying to do is tell f- the future people who survive the after post apocalyptic world. world that climate change killed us all. Mm. So they're thinking it's going to be uh, you know a heat problem or a CO2 problem. Right, uh, right. So it just, you know, it's going to be uh, that it, basically a three-inch steel could survive it. <laughs> We're just like, no. <laughs> if you look at the catastrophes of the past, yeah, this is not how it takes place. <laughs> yeah, but the end of the story was pretty cool. They're like, they're like the, the The next question is, is how to inform the future people how to read the data that's inside of it, because otherwise they're just going to find a mysterious monolith out in the middle of nowhere, and we right. already know how that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, would you be referring to the Georgia guidestones there?
3: No, I think they were talking. I think I think they were actually referring to those weird metal monoliths that people were finding for a while. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, I All thought right. they
0: were referring but to. Just
3: I obelists. I liked it because it's just like yes, we have found lots of weird monoliths out in the middle of nowhere. True, but I'm pretty true. sure that they were talking about those metal oh, okay. monoliths that were a fad for a little while. Yeah, whatever they were.
0: Yeah. I mean, they were neat little things. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to inject some some mild mystery into things. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, I wish I remembered Scott's book better. It's been a couple of years, I think, since I've had him on. Again, I, I would highly recommend you guys talk to him at some point.
3: Yeah, we need to do that. Well, there's a couple of the things I want to point out that Feynman said that were really interesting. Okay. Like one of the things he talked about was inertia itself, and he's just, you know, he was just explaining like, there's this thing, inertia, and no one knows why it works the way it does and no Mm -hmm. one's even trying to explain it you know the fact that once you put an object in motion it will just stay in motion forever right and what what exactly is governing that behavior i thought that was really interesting and it's just like it's a mystery that no one's even looking into
0: that's true because we just we're just like okay that works yeah exactly
2: (laughs) but there was a time when you know a guy was like trying to figure out well, is is this the case? You know, and he's rolling all these balls and stuff, and on down different inclined planes, and, yeah. uh, and eventually arrives at this idea that, like, okay, the only reason things stop moving is because there is some other force acting upon it yeah. to stop it. And that's that's very subtle in some cases. Like, it it can yeah. be obvious, like you hit a you hit a wall, yeah. right? That's that seems obvious, but it is it is a very subtle thing that we just take for granted now. That's because it's just so known right yes, this is just a yeah. known property of things in the universe and no one looks at it anymore it seems to try to figure out well what it what yeah. Is why going? should
0: that be the case yeah huh i never and thought about that but you're totally right yeah
2: there's so many things like that when you get down to the to these principles of the way things act in the universe it's like we can observe them and notice that this is what happens and this is the trend and this is the pattern but there really is zero explanation of why these principles exist.
3: Some of the the great other, you know, deep fundamental things he talked about were various symmetries. Well, that's what he called them. But basically, like, there's a symmetry of translation, which is the idea that, that something you do in one place can basically be done the same way. In other words, like, if I was, if you and I were throwing a ball back and forth in your front yard, and then we came to my house to do it in my front yard, neither one of us would expect it to be very different. You know, right. maybe there's wind or whatever, but basically, there's no expectation that because we've moved a, a large distance and we're doing this same activity in somewhere else, that there's gonna that it's gonna be totally, completely different, right? Yeah, that's that's a symmetry of translation, a symmetry of space. That basically any experiment or action you do, that you can take that experiment or action and move a small distance or an enormous distance, and basically do the same thing, and
0: it, it will turn out basically the same. Yeah, yeah.
3: That space is symmetrical in that way
0: but we're we're finding you know when we look out into the universe that things aren't behaving the way we expect them to because (laughs) of that you know we're like how why is it doing that you know yeah
2: right how far does that symmetry go right we it's and and so you can look at it both ways like we we notice that when we're on one side of the sun in our orbit we can do the experiment and it's the same as when we were on the other side of the sun in the orbit yeah which is a long distance away in space but (laughs) So then we assume like, well, how far out can I grow this bubble and everything stays the same? And it's sort of kind of taken for granted that it's just the same. Yeah. But we are looking way out there and
0: there's all kinds of stuff going on that we're <laughs> like, what the hell is that?
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and so yeah, it is it's cool. And going back to the simulation <laughs> idea, I mean that's how video games work.
3: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's a there's the there's the there's the, uh, the symmetry of of time that An experiment you do now would have had the same results a million years ago. Right, right. Or a million years from now. Uh, There was other interesting things that he talked about how from, from from the point of view of fundamental physics, things are reversible in a way that they're actually not reversible, which is really interesting. Like, you know, he said one of the ways that physicists will usually show this is they'll show a video of somebody dropping a cup of coffee. And the cup falls down and shatters on the floor and the coffee goes everywhere. And then they just play the video in reverse with the coffee and the cup coming back together, forming into a thing, and then flying up into the person's hand. And when you watch that video in reverse, you're like, ha, that's ridiculous. It would never happen. But he was pointing out that if a physicist was able to watch it on the atomic scale or even subatomic scale, that nothing impossible would take place. In the reversed video, right, right. So the question is: Is why can't it be reversed in the real world when, when you when you look at the way the particles are acting and following the fundamental laws in the reverse video, it all works out. And that turned out to be about probabilities. And he, he kind of goes into a long thing of you know that that stuff moves towards disorder rather than an order.
0: Right, right, right.
3: This is like the idea of entropy. But it's all- uh, so that was all.
0: That was all very interesting as well. But there's also the chaos theory, which is that nothing is actually chaos. Yeah. You know, it looks like chaos because we can't see the order in it. Right. Yeah, there are questions about, there are questions about order and,
3: and disorder and the arrow of time. Uh, you know, and, and the idea that how can the universe be moving towards a state of disorderliness that r- implies that it had to start out being an orderly thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the early universe does not look orderly at all, (laughs) you know? So it's, it's the question is, is there, there are some paradoxes involved in this.
0: Uh, The whole thing's a paradox.
3: Yeah. Yes. And, you know, he also pointed out that the whole time symmetry, he was like, we have to agree that if you go back far enough in time and past the beginning of the universe, then the, then nothing, then it doesn't work out. And so, you know, there's the one free miracle idea.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know,
3: if we just ignore the start of the universe, then basically this all works and everything is symmetrical. (laughs) And he he actually points that out, and it's it's great. This is one of the reasons why we love Feynman is that he you know he's basically a standard model. uh, I would say a pretty much you know a mechanistic has a mechanistic view of the universe, and yet he's he's open to pointing out these deep mysteries. And in a lot of cases, he's, even though he's very mechanistic about his view of the universe, he sees those deep mysteries much more clearly than his colleagues seem to.
0: Well, I mean, so much of that, again, it has to do with ego. It has to do with money. Um, it has to do with dogma. I mean, people like dogma. They really do. Yeah. You know, you like having that system you can, you can count on to be there. Yes. You know, we all, we, right. we all basically want to feel secure. And if you're a scientist who's tearing apart how the universe works, you still want to feel secure and you feel (laughs) a lot more secure saying, yeah, we basically understand all this than going, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Well, maybe I'm wired wrong. I feel very secure in saying we have no idea. Oh, so do I. So do I. But (laughs) I I think it's it's human nature, though, to want to feel secure. And that's part of the way we do that. And I think that that's part of what happens when you get these people who call themselves skeptics you know that this stuff freaks them out it makes them feel you know in less control it lets it 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 threatens their security so mm-hmm. they will say the most ridiculous stuff to explain it as long as it fits into their view yeah which is that's also right. why why they're calling people who are who are against them names that's true yep so one more one more
3: symmetry i'll point out that you okay. talked about was the symmetry what, whether the universe can determine... Uh, what was it? How did he put it? It was, a, it was about uh, reflection, is how he said it. A symmetry of reflection. But it really was about, can you, using fundamental physics, tell the difference between left and right, basically? Oh, Well, that would be subjective. Right. But I mean, you know, in other words, is there something in the way that the universe works where you could, I guess the, the, so the thought experiment he gives you at the end, which was really fun to go through was let's imagine you're talking to some alien, some distant alien at some distant star, you know, you don't know where he is. He doesn't know where you are, but you're communicating. And uh, after you develop a language or whatever, is there any way for you to tell him what the difference between left and right is using physics? Mm, okay, you know, because yeah. he goes through this whole thing of like, well, the alien. Once you've got a language working, the alien eventually says, "Well, you guys are pretty cool. What do you look like?" You know, and then Feynman goes, he's like, "Well, you can, you can tell him. Well, we're about six feet tall." And the alien says, "Well, what's six feet?" And then you give him the length of a foot in by stacking hydrogen atoms on top of each other. You know, you can do that. You can say, "Well, if you take, you know, several hundred trillion hydrogen atoms and put them in a line, that's one foot." Right. Now the right. alien, who's got presumably has a hydrogen atoms because there's a symmetry. You know, this is, again, assuming that the universe is the same everywhere and that hydrogen atoms are basically the same everywhere because he's talking about symmetry. So that now the alien knows what a foot is because he can calculate the length of a bunch of hydrogen atoms. So now he knows how tall we are. Then the alien wants to know what we look like on the inside. So you're like, well, there's this thing called the heart and it's it's up in the top part of the body on the left. Right? Well, how does the alien know which side is the left? Yeah. And how do you tell him which side is the left side? <laughs> Is there anything in fundamental physics that we can use to say that's left versus right? Yeah, yeah. And if there isn't, then that implies that there is a symmetry of reflection, that the universe doesn't distinguish between one direction or another, or left and right. Hmm. But he shows at the end of the discussion that there is a particular kind of, I won't really get into all the details, but there's a particular kind of decay that throws out an electron and that electron in that decay process is always spinning to the left. And physicists actually don't know why that is and it actually annoys them because they like things to be symmetrical. <laughs> right? But Feynman was basically suggesting that you could tell the alien to do the experiment to let that thing decay and watch the electron come out and then tell the alien it's spinning to the left and then the alien will know where to put the heart in his model of the human body after that using fundamental physics. Wow. But then he points out later that it's possible that antimatter and those same reactions, the electron would come out spinning to the right. And that if the alien in his world and everywhere, everywhere, everything that he lives in is made of antimatter, then he may put the heart on the wrong side.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah, so he finishes off the explanation that if, if you finally get to go meet the guy and you've told him about the convention of shaking hands, and you stick out your right hand, and he sticks out his left hand, don't touch him, because he's
0: made of antimatter.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah. There was something in all that I was going to comment on, and I've completely lost it now. I just hmm. love these ideas and exploring this kind of stuff. It's, it's
3: so much fun. Oh, so to do I. This kind of stuff, yeah.
0: I mean, when, when Joshua Cutchin wrote his book on smells, and he's like trying to explain... How we really don't know how smell works. Yeah. I'm sitting there going, huh, I I never knew that, you know?
3: Yep. Like, I just just assume. He points out how we don't have the vocabulary to describe smells very well either.
0: No, no. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, the same with color. I mean, almost anything in our existence is explained by its relation to other things in our existence.
2: Yeah. But you know, explain. Yeah, so when you w- early earlier in the conversation when you were talking about how we don't see in 3D, I was thinking about that and it's like we we triangulate because we have two sensors, yeah, separated by a distance. So we triangulate and our brain interprets that as distance,
3: and it can be tricked.
2: And right. it can definitely be tricked, so it's not real 3D. Right. It's, it is, it is, it's two different sources of data.
3: And it's supplemented by hearing two different sources of data, yeah, yeah. right,
2: that are that are separated by a certain distance from each other. Yeah. And so the brain and it, it, this is this is fascinating, too, that that the brain can uh, take these minuscule differences like the speed of light or whatever, you know, and the, and the speed of sound reaching one ear and having a reflection off a of wall also kind of de- a delayed sense yep. that, that gives you this spatial awareness. Yeah, that that's that that these processes can happen fast enough to where you can really make damn good guesses about how many steps you have to take to get away from whatever. You know, yes. it's it's amazing. But you're right. Like we don't actually, I mean, technically speaking, we don't see three dimensions. It's an interpretation of two different data sets.
0: Yeah. Yes. And it's also uh, experience. Right. Because they, they were talking about people who gain sight later in life have trouble seeing depth. Yep. Mm. Yep. It's, it's binocular, but not necessarily 3D. Yeah.
4: <laughs> hmm.
0: Yeah. It, it, it's, yeah. And it,
2: I've, I, I like to point out, too, that like you were saying, uh, you know, as far as sight goes, the things that, the, the, the things that we're looking at are just, that, that's all of the, that's all of the, frequencies of resonance that don't jive with the object, right? Like, they don't... The the object is out of tune with those frequencies of light, so it doesn't absorb them, so it's rejecting all of those frequencies, and that's what we see in our... And and we... I I don't
3: know, I've just... Yeah, it's like a reverse... Everything we see is really a reverse image of what they actually resonate with.
2: Right. So it's almost like we see the... We see them for what they're not. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I mean... I mean, it's still, it's, it does give you information as to what they are based on what they reject, right? But
3: it's, yeah, and you get, you get information about shape or whatever, but the color of light that you're seeing that the object looks like it is is actually the color of light that the object is rejecting.
4: Right. Yeah.
0: So the, there was an experiment, too. I mean, I, I assume most people understand that, like, the image projected onto your retina through the eyeball is actually upside down. Yeah, and then our brain corrects it. Well, years ago they did this was sometime in the early two thousands. They did an experiment where they designed glasses that Mm -hmm. you had these people (laughs) wear that flipped the world around, and after a few hours, their brain corrected it. And then when they eventually took the glasses off, everything was upside down for a while (laughs) until their brain corrected it. Yep.
3: They had to learn to eat and drink, you know, how imagine how difficult it would be to learn to drink when you think everything is upside down.
2: Yes. Yeah, hey man, if you can do keg stands, you'll be all
4: right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I mean, it's like it's another example of how much our brain kind of like interprets everything for us.
2: It builds the world for us. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's right. It's like we're not and getting a one-to-one ratio of what's happening. It's like Oh, here's what we think is important. Oh, hey, look, everything's upside down. Hang on, this will work better. Yeah,
2: right. And and, that, and we can build these sensors that can detect things, right? That are beyond our our uh, what the sensors we have built in to our bodies. We can build sensors that can detect all types of energy and motion, and then we have to convert that into something that's understandable to us. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that that gets tricky too. I mean, it's it, like think about the. Um, I think about this like the radio telescopes, right? They're 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 picking up all this stuff, and then they send us this image. Oh, look at this galaxy! Yeah, and you're like, but that's not really what that thing just picked up, right? Because you have to detune it and change the whole frequencies all the way down to something that shows you something more like the visual spectrum. Yeah, that we would see. Right, and that's just in, you know, just like detecting an object it's emitting light I mean there's there's so many different ways that we have to like think about um like trying to make uh we, we had looked into this for a while making a GPR unit right ground penetrating radar yeah like it's not too difficult to build a unit that can shoot radar that would has a large enough wavelength to go down into in, into the earth some depth and then reflect back
3: but you have to build a picture so and then, then you, have you to be got able to this
2: read it. yeah you got this <laughs> giant set of data that's just like got Got signal, didn't get signal, got signal faster. Yeah, and so then you have to come up with some scheme to build a picture out of that. Yeah, that makes sense to us. That's the hard part. That's the real hard part. Hmm. So it's,
3: uh, yeah, it's. uh, Speaking of also speaking of uh, depth perception or seeing in three D, I love that you know the idea that there's this basic difference between animal types, depending on whether or not they, you know that they they whether they're they're hunters or prey
0: oh yeah, yeah. But the
3: prey animals always have their eyes on the sides of their head so they don't have any depth perception but they have a much wider range of vision because they need to be able to see that hunter coming right whereas the hunter needs depth perception because he needs to know how far away that prey animal is you know yeah. there's this uh, this basic idea so we have we have this forward-facing binocular vision like most other uh you know predator species Whereas the prey species have their eyes on the sides of their head, so they can see almost all the way around them.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: So they don't have any 3D vision at all. But I bet you their brains still kind of build a depth perception into their
0: into their world picture. Well, sure. Otherwise, they'd be running face first into trees all the time.
4: Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> and that- it doesn't work with birds because birds are basic. I mean, a lot of birds are predator birds, and yet they, you know, if you've, if you've ever been looked at by a large bird, it turns its head. Yeah. And uses one eye.
0: And yet they're predator, the and, they, and
3: they'll dive. Yeah, owls have their eyes in the front. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Well owls are weird. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they are. Yeah. Owls they're probably not yeah. Owls and octopuses. Yes. Those those are two of the strangest creatures on the planet. Yep. <laughs> they want us all dead. <laughs> and frogs. Let's not let's not leave out the frogs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the uh we had talked about it recently on Where Did the Road Go. Uh the movie uh Mag- Magnolia ends with a fall of frogs. Oh. Have you guys seen that? I haven't seen that.
2: It was um. riveting.
0: <laughs> it was a really good movie. It was a a riveting ending. <laughs> and the and the Oh my God.
4: <laughs>
0: the the uh but yeah, the ending is like this this fall of frogs and like the character is like sitting in the library and these frogs are falling. And he kind of looks up and goes, Oh, this is just one of those things that happens," <laughs> <laughs> and you know that that kind of is what it is. It is. It's totally true. We just don't recognize it as that because it doesn't happen, re- you know, regularly. Yeah, so- I wonder about that. How often
3: does it actually happen? You know, there's more very remote places on the planet than not. Yeah. But so we get reports when it happens in a town or in some farmer's field or whatever basically where there are people to see it. But how often does it rain frogs into the ocean? You know, Yeah, true. Or fish or, I mean, in the mountains. True.
0: And then they get yeah. stuck in coal veins. And, uh, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, how how often do they just teleport into the inside of stuff?
0: Yeah. I guess I, I hadn't thought about that, but something could apport into a coal, coal vein right before it's opened, and then that's why the frog is there. Yep. Mm, interesting. Of course, it might also be that coal doesn't form the way we think it does. Yeah. Which is not an idea a lot of scientists like. Right. But still,
3: it's how do you entomb, you know, especially the cases where the, the frog seems to come alive and yeah. sort of leave afterward. It changes from being white to green, which isn't too surprising. Frogs can change color. But, you know, it's even if coal forms in a totally different way, how do you get frogs in there that are basically in some kind of suspended
0: animation? Right. Yeah. And what is it about frogs that allowed them to do that? Yeah. Because you don't get, like, kittens. <laughs> <laughs> we opened this coal mine, the kitten hopped out. It's like Well, there was, that, there was that story about the,
3: what was it? Uh, 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 what was it? It was some kind of giant. They described it like almost like a pterodactyl, like a big bird.
0: Oh, yeah, that was that's trapped right. trapped in
3: a piece of rock or whatever, and they broke it open, and it flopped out of there, and it was pasty white, dusty. But it slowly turned dark, got up and squawked and sort of stumbled off, stared <sighs> the hell out of everybody. It was this huge thing. You know, I mean, of course, this is just a, it's just a story, but there are stories of snakes and worms and other things than frogs that do this as well.
0: That's, I totally forgot about that. But you're right, never, never, that.
3: I don't think I've ever read about a mammal. Bird is probably the, the closest.
0: Hmm. Well, I mean, they are dinosaurs. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's been a while since I've read Ford's book. I forgot all about that. All right. Um. So do you want to do another story? What do you want to do? Sure. You got one more? I do, I do. I had this. We were talking earlier about um, cops and how, like, people won't, won't, you know, are like, oh, we don't want to believe these stupid peasants or whatever. But then when a cop <laughs> sees something, they want to dismiss that, too. You know, it's like, okay. Um, so this is an old story, but it's one I've, I've always been fascinated with because it, it has a decent amount of research done on it. it comes from melmagazine.com, this particular article. And it's uh, the Minnesota cop who crashed his patrol car into a UFO. <laughs> in 1979, a sheriff's department or deputy in rural Minnesota encountered what he could only describe as an unidentified flying object, and no expert investigator or engineer could ever prove him wrong. On a late August night 1979, Deputy Sheriff Val Johnson was on patrol in rural Marshall County, Minnesota. The closest town tent was 10 miles away, and the night was still. The fields around him quiet and empty. Suddenly, Johnson saw a bright light streak through Streak across the darkness above. He grabbed a hold of the wheel of his patrol car and hung a left on State Highway 220. Um, Johnson kept racing toward whatever it was, but then the light shifted and began to head in his direction, right at him. In fact, it grew brighter and brighter until he heard glass shatter. The light had entered his patrol car. Everything turned to black and Johnson lost consciousness. What happened next has remained a mystery for the last 43 years. He later told local reporter Jillian Rice of Channel 5 Eyewitness News uh, that I traveled about a mile and the light seemed to intercept me, so to speak. It came right up on me. It was painful. The light was extremely brilliant and painful. I closed my eyes and heard the sound of breaking glass, and that's the last thing I remember. For the skeptics at home, Rice ran down all the questions and suspicions they might be entertaining. Johnson was unconscious for 40 minutes before he radioed for help and was taken to the hospital, she explained. A doctor, and later an eye specialist, confirmed that Johnson had suffered mild welder or flash burns to his eyes. But this wasn't the only curious physical effect of the event. Even stranger, both Johnson's wristwatch and electric clock in his patrol car had mysteriously stopped for 14 minutes, she reported. Moreover, Rice added, at the scene of the accident, skid marks show Deputy Johnson coasted for another 800 feet after impact before applying the brakes. Noting that the area around the crash site had been searched, but nothing was found. Police considered the notion of a small airplane, but Johnson specifically remembered not hearing any engine noise. Plus, nothing could explain how the two spring-mounted antenna on the patrol car became bent at a near-perfect 90-degree angle. Uh. If it wasn't another car, a small plane, or a person on a bicycle with a bright headlight, what did Johnson hit? And what could account for the missing 14 minutes on his watch and patrol car clock? In subsequent interviews, Johnson attempts to describe in exacting detail everything he remembered. The problem was, it didn't sound like anything you'd find on Earth. For, for instance, Johnson said in his recorded police interview, I noticed a very bright light, brilliant light, 8 to 12 inches in diameter, 3 to 4 feet off the ground. The edges were very defined. He also described the light hitting him like a 200-pound pillow. In yet another interview about the incident, he again described the mysterious nature of what happened. I saw a ball of light, I drove toward it, and suddenly it was in the car with me. It's unexplainable and will remain so. I'm happy with my mental stability. (laughs) Johnson has also been consistent ever since the accident first happened, including when he first regained consciousness and called in to dispatch in the car radio. Uh, So it was 404. What's your condition? I don't know. I just hit my car. Just something just hit my car. What's your condition? Are you okay? Something attacked my heart car. I heard the glass breaking and the locks, the brakes locked up. I don't know what's going on. Uh, Marshall County Sheriff Dennis Brock led the invesi- investigation and believed the word of his deputy. I feel what, whatever Val told me about the light and the straight I- incident was true. I don't doubt Val in any way. Mm. That said, he still had to investigate. The FAA assisted from their end, reporting that there were no aircraft in the skies above Marshall County at the time. So Breck went a less traditional route and reached out to the Center for UFO Studies in suburban Chicago. An investigator from the center visited the site, examined the car, and ran a battery test, checking for anomalies of magnetism and radioactivity. He concluded that whatever it was, it wasn't radioactive. It's a mystery, Rice would later tell her news camera, or as the UFO investigator from Illinois said, it appears to have been a close encounter of the second kind. Uh, They actually still have the car, too. Um, After the UFO research, Honeywell Labs sent out an engineer in November 1979 to to conduct some tests on the metal of the patrol car. They, too, came to the conclusion they had no idea what happened. The car antennas appeared to be bent as a result of a, of high-velocity blasts of air, which he determined meant some sort of electrical thing, or perhaps a force, had caused the impact and resulting damage. The automaker for the patrol car, which was a 1977 Ford LTD, sent out its own engineers to examine the vehicle as well. I have not seen anything like this before. Ford Crash investigator Meridian French said in his report, French wrote that it seemed as if inward and outward forces acting almost simultaneously had slammed into the car. Similarly, the damage from front to back was within a straight line only one foot wide. The vehicle has been preserved as an exhibit at the Marshall County Historical Society, which Society President, uh, President Kent Broughton says is definitely the number one attraction. According to him, the wow. patrol car attracts an inquisitive visitors from all over the world. Um some people lay on the floor and look underneath it. He told Road, Roadside America, "Once I saw a guy with a black light flashlight going over the car." Wow, that's cool. They have it on. You can oh, go display. See yeah, yeah. Out of every. The- oh, go ahead. Out of everyone involved, Johnson seems to be the less impressed with the least impressed with what happened to him that fateful summer night. As he said in past interviews, he'd much rather be done with the incident and focus on focus on the future instead. I looked up at the sky and said, Well, shucks, what happened? And then I shuffled on with my life. For a while, of course, he was inundated with media requests, but eventually other stories came along and pushed me off the front page, thank goodness. Even still, strangers often approached him over the years, wanting to go over everything with him themselves. We'd sit in the backyard with lemonade and and talk. He told the Minneapolis Post last October. They'd tell me what they thought happened to me, and I'd nod at the appropriate times, and eventually they'd go away. <laughs> <laughs> For his part, Johnson did make peace with what had happened, as he told the studio audience in a nineteen eighty sh- uh, on the 1980s show.ed That's incredible. Upon reflection, we've come to the conclusion that perhaps the creator has made other things we can't readily see or readily identify, and perhaps this is one of the things we encountered on the road. Without a doubt, he'd definitely grown to see the light, whatever that light might have been.
4: Oh,
3: oh. End it with a pun, of course. <laughs> I think it's hilarious that they're talking about a guy on a bicycle or maybe an airplane, but he had welding burns in his eyes. Yeah, yeah. You know, who, what airplane or bicycle light... It's gonna give you welding birds. Right.
4: That's I, a specific
3: think, kind of ultraviolet, you know.
2: I like the part about the two hundred pound pillow. Yeah. <laughs> because that I mean it just sounds like uh, anti-gravity or something, right? Yeah. It's got this some kind of inertial like you think about uh the if you if you had some kind of like anti-gravity generating machine thing that could it basically generate a pushing force. Yeah. And then it ran it, it, it zoomed up on you real quick. that's kind of what it would feel like because you'd start feeling it it wouldn't be a direct impact. you'd yeah. start feeling it from a distance and then the force would get stronger as it got
3: closer. Yeah. to yeah, and it runs into you and then pushes out everything outward so you get the like what the engineer said that like a simultaneous impact from inside and outside the car. yeah, yeah. that is interesting. I love that all these people came and checked out the vehicle and <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to bring up the ball lightning, but I'm going to bring up ball lightning. Some of it sounded ball lightning-esque to me. You know, a small, he was talking about a very defined, extremely bright sphere that basically went through his car and did a bunch of destruction, but it didn't actually kill him. Yeah. You know. Uh, But, yeah, and then they were saying it looks like something went through the car with a destructive force but left a path about a foot wide. It sounds like a small object.
4: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: And, you know, it could be, it could have I mean, I guess ball lightning could possibly, or something like that, some kind of plasma ball yeah. or whatever you would want to call it, could, could make the same kind of sort of ultraviolet light that, that welding does. I've had welding burns in my I eyes. I mean, that's it what is it is. Not, it's an
2: electrical arc.
0: Yeah. It's not. It, it hurts.
2: It's it not comfortable.
0: It all comes back to electricity.
2: Yeah, it, it does. sure
3: does. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I was going to say.
0: Somebody should come up with a theory
3: that it sort of puts that stuff together. <laughs> and explains everything in the universe.
0: Right, control. yeah, that's a really yeah. good idea.
2: <laughs> you should work on that. Lightning universe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you could be dealing with a plasma intelligence, yep. um, you know, that was like, what's this thing? I'm going to go check it out.
3: Yeah, I mean, it could have been a probe, I mean, you know, a small object that was producing that ball lightning looking yeah. phenomena mm-hmm. around it. I mean, I don't know, it's, but it, it is interesting. It does sound technological, but also could have a totally natural uh, source
0: yeah
2: it was yeah. probably made by cat aliens Is <laughs> somebody was following it and it ran up there and smacked him and then failed
0: and, and the thing about it is there's so much evidence that something happened you know like there's there's yeah. it's not like people are looking at this car and going oh i can explain all this everyone's like ah right. uh, nope that's <laughs> weird yep and you don't get that usually you get the stupid skeptical stuff that we were talking about earlier
4: yeah
2: no that's a great story i like that one
0: and it's always been one of my favorites because you have the damn card. it happened to a cop. Yeah. And there's no hypnosis. There's no aliens came and abducted me. He's just like, I don't know what the hell happened, but it sucked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have some lemonade. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
4: I yeah. love that part. That was great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they tell me their, their ther- theories. <laughs> Sounds yeah, like yeah, a nice yeah, old guy.
0: Sure. <laughs> <laughs> So that that's that that kind of tied in the 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 dismissing reports and uh, electrical universe all in one. It did yeah. nicely and, done. And the bending of the antennas without breaking them is also really fascinating. Yeah, and it makes me think of the crop circle stuff.
3: I want to know why the guy said that they were bent by a blast of air. Is that just, does he have evidence that it was air? Or does he just think that whatever it was, was you know, he's trying to come up with a,
0: whatever it was, it wasn't a hard impact. So he's thinking it was a blast of
3: air. Yeah.
0: That would be my guess. Because I mean, you you figure it, it had to bend them without breaking. Yeah. Or denting them or whatever. Yeah. 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 So if they're both bent, I mean, to bend an antenna at a 90 degree angle is generally just going to snap it.
3: Yeah. Oh, I was thinking that.
2: Well, oh, maybe I, I i made a fake picture in my head when i was hearing that part but i was thinking of the big you know they got the springs at the base oh
0: that you i know, don't I know thinking, are
3: they are i was thinking are they are they the extendable tube kind yeah cuz that you for sure you can't
2: bend those without 90 degrees without breaking them
3: yeah let's see if i can Or is begin. it the cop kind where it's basically a a, a short hard rubber coated antenna it just depends on what kind of antennas
0: they were I'm looking at the picture, but I don't see any antennas, so they may have removed them. Uh. Um. They they do have a wax figure of him. <laughs> of the cop? Yep. Really? Wow. Okay, so there is an antenna. No, That is that an antenna? No, it's on the wall. Yeah, there's no... Uh, I don't see any antennas. I mean, it's a, it's yeah, a so smaller picture, so. Either way,
2: I mean, if it was the spring at the base, like one of those bigger, like a CB antenna or a you know, yep. long-range radio antenna, usually they're long antennas, but they have the spring at the base where they can flop. Yep. To get that thing to bend 90 degrees
3: and stay, it would take a lot of heat. Yes. Right. Yeah. Flash heating. Yeah, that's right. It would want to spring back.
0: Let's uh, let's let's do a web search and see if I can find a picture of the antenna. Uh, images. Yes,
3: yeah. or we might be able to come up with it. But we're like, what was standard cop <laughs> cop gear at the time?
0: <laughs> so there's there's much. Uh, there's this cracked windshield. Uh, the windshield just looks like it has a crack in it. Like it didn't take the whole windshield out, which is interesting. It's not like a big smashed hole. Yeah. Um, uh, no, there is an antenna on the car that is not bent unless of course they replace them after. I mean, cause the windshields oh, the windshield is cracked. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know what type of, I mean, any type of antenna is going to be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. But it, like I said, it puts me in the mind of crop circles where they, they bend them without breaking them.
3: Yep. And it seems to be a source of heat right at the base. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Ah, here we go. Okay. So it's the antenna. It's not quite at a 90 degree angle. It is the type that has so it starts out with a big solid base coming right by the uh the siren on top. And then it goes to a springy bit. Yep. And then it goes to a thinner wire that goes up about it looks like maybe a foot and then suddenly arcs at more of a not quite a ninety degree angle, maybe uh a, a little less than a oh, ninety okay. degree angle. Oh, so angle. it's bent See, up a,
2: high. These are solid yeah. core antenna, then yeah. it's a it's a big Solid piece of steel wow
0: and and it's only bent in that one spot up up high like a foot off the, the yeah car or yeah, wow, okay, yeah, it's above where the uh the lights are above the the height of the lights, and these are old okay, style yeah, lights so might have, I wonder if
3: it pushed them against the, the the lights and then bent it down nope, bent the other way, oh, it's the other direction yep.
0: okay um i i will I will see if I could share it here with you can i can I do that? I cannot do that, I have no easy <laughs> way to do that. Cool. I'm, Don't try. You'll, uh, you're, you'll blow something up. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm on my tablet, which has no ways I can communicate you, with you on. Huh? Well, you can just Google it. Yeah, we'll look it up. Uh, same with but people great, out there what listening. What a great story. Yeah, what a great story. So, I mean, and you never hear about this story. That's the other thing. Like all these other UFO stories you hear all the time. This one is like never out there. Yeah, you're right. I've read a lot of UFO books. I don't think I've ever heard
3: come across that one. I mean, maybe, maybe in passing.
0: Yeah, but. I mean I don't know, maybe because it's not doesn't come across as extraterrestrial, like yeah. nuts and nuts and bolts people don't like it very much. Because there's nothing there that, that suggests that a spaceship crashed into him. Right. And I am kinda surprised looking at the windshield, it's just a small little hole in the windshield, which would suggest I think one of you said, you know, it could have been something small emanating out a field around it.
3: Yeah, something very small with a lot of energy
0: around it. Yeah. yeah, also could have been plasma, doing something like that. Yep, that is a sweet cop car, though. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
3: for anyone, I, would, I got a fiction recommendation. Oh. Um Yeah, I think there's a, there's a book called Ball Lightning. Um, it's written by a Chinese guy. Uh, it's really good. And he, the suggestions that he makes, and this guy's an engineer, you know, so he, he writes pretty good fiction. Hard, I would call it hard science fiction. But he makes some pretty cool uh, speculations and suggestions about what Ball Lightning might actually be. Really? So you saying that there's a tiny hole in me thinking about Ball Lightning was, it made me think of that book. So, I, you know, if anybody's interested in Ball Lightning and want to read some good fiction about it, about what, what it might be. Check that book out.
0: Are, are you going to tell us his theory? Uh, no. That would that would kind of
3: ruin some stuff in the book. I don't want to. I don't okay. want to do any spoilers. All
0: right. <laughs> fiction,
3: but it's great because he actually goes through a lot of the mysterious cases. Oh, you know he he he's bringing in how mysterious ball lightning actually is, and so in the book, you know, even though it's fiction, he's telling you about how mysterious this phenomena really is. And then the fiction sort of has the characters in it, the physicists in it, sort of figuring stuff out, and it's really interesting. Nice. That in a way that explains all these mysterious things that Ball Lightning has been known to do. Let me me find the guy's name so I can... uh, His name is... It's... Well, I don't know how to pronounce it exactly. C-I-X-I-N-L-I-U. Yeah. Cixin Liu. Yeah, probably. He also has one called The Wandering Earth. Yeah, he has a bunch of... His three-body problem... Trilogy is one some of the best science fiction I've ever read, and that,
0: that's I'll huh. say that. Yeah. All right. Hey, it's 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 a free it's free with your uh, Audible trial.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. The Three Body Problem and Ball Lightning both have uh, Audible versions.
0: Nice. I'll have to save that. Not 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 that I can order anything from Amazon, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, was it one of you guys who suggested I play the game Control? I did. Yes. Oh, yeah, you were right. Yeah. Holy crap, is that game good? Yes. Fantastic. I'm glad you got it. And, and anyone who's into the paranormal should definitely play Control if you like video yes. games. <laughs> Whoever made that game knew what they were talking about. They did. Absolutely. Because there's so many little hints. Yep. You, know, like, you find papers all over talking about different projects, right down to the way they do disinformation. Yeah, and then the That's concepts right. of what's going on right then and there that you're playing yep. through is it's just it's so brilliant. All right. Yes, I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> Control and, is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and it's I haven't finished it yet. I'm probably seventy five percent of the way through. It's a big game too. Oh yeah, it's it's a huge huge game. Yeah. Because I got it. It was on sale for like thirty bucks with all the download packs. Oh yeah. Excellent. So I was like, okay, that sounds like a good deal. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and the thing is the references aren't always that blatant either. This is why I said whoever designed it kind of knows their, their stuff. Yep. You know, it seemed well, to me
3: that way that they had done their research.
0: Yeah. So they were probably,
3: and that they were also, they were also very familiar with the whole, uh, SCP foundations. So it was very, yeah. Yeah. SCP like in, in a way, cause you're dealing with this giant government, hidden governmental organization.
0: Which, yep. you know, is also something that could exist. Yep. I mean, we know the government's always looking into this stuff. Yeah. You know, it's a- What the, government? The, the, <laughs> all of them, probably. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like the, the the revelations of the government has a secret UFO program are kind of like the revelations of Rob Halford's gay. It's like, right. <laughs> and, and then people go, Rob Halford's gay? This What? It's like, you didn't know? Yeah, it's like is common knowledge. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, of course, you know, if there's something out there, the, the government, any government can use for its advantage, it's going to.
2: Yeah, and they're made up of a bunch of people that are just, you know, most of them are just people like us that are probably all have their various interests. And, you know, it's not like it seems more like in the in the scientific community, you have, you know, like a, it's it's very standard. To just completely um, pass off that stuff as, you know, BS. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, whereas, yeah. yeah. Whereas outside of, the, outside of the scientific community, a lot of people think that these things might really exist. And that's the government's going to be made up of mostly those types of people.
3: Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, they're going to be looking into And bring it. in scientists, swear them to secrecy, and then show them that that's some right. of this stuff <laughs> might be real. And then those <laughs> scientists can't talk about it. <laughs>
0: that's right. <laughs> oh... Well, that seems like a good place to end. What do you think? I think so. Yeah. yeah. You, uh, you, you, your band has a new album out.
2: That's right. We do. Uh, Procession is the name of the album by Fifty Dollar Dynasty. We, uh, you can go to the website fifty dollar dynastycom dot com. It's free there. Uh, it is. It's a little. It's a very simple website with a donate button and a playlist, so you can play the album directly from the website, or you can uh download the individual files as well from the player. Um you can also find
3: it on Spotify.
2: Yeah, it's on all the streaming platforms. Yep. But, you know, uh we were trying to do the value for value model and when you publish to the streaming platforms, there's a couple, Amazon and Apple iTunes that you cannot set the price at 0. Really? Right. So we just set it at a basically a normal price, 12 bucks for the album. But you can get it for free from the website, and then if you want to donate or support the band, you can donate from the links on the website. And we also have a Patreon.
3: Yeah, so they're putting out they're putting out special content through their Patreon, um, and you get to you can hear the instrumental versions, and there's lots of short videos of them working on stuff or us practicing, and you know, cool stuff.
0: Nice. You want to pick a song to end this show with.
3: Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what do you suggest? Me? Yeah. Oh man. Well, what are, you know.
2: I'm thinking of where do the road go audience here. Just give them Deos.
3: Yeah, there you go. End it with Deos.
0: That'll do it. And what's Deos about? Um, (laughs) It's not about anything. Summoning the war gods. (laughs) 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 I see.
3: Mostly instrumental. It's instrumental, but it has a chant at the end, yeah. Oh. Ah, okay. All right. Thank
0: you, guys. Thanks, siraya. Why don't
3: you, for our audience, tell people where they can find you if they
0: don't know, which they that, should. That that would be go dot com, which has everything where Did the road go related, all our links, social media, shows, all the way back to the first show in twenty thirteen. That's downloadable. All and, right. Uh, lots of Patreon content for three dollars a month if anyone wants to become a Patreon. All right. Thanks,
3: Soraya. Always a pleasure.
0: Indeed.